the sound. I can hear I can hear you clapping at the same time as me. Okay. Here, let's let's do like a series of three. One, two, three. Yeah, we're doing okay, it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. All right. All right. Did you guys hear that? That is called <laughs> engineering. Yes, we have officially possibly discovered how to do remote recording and we are pretty goddamn excited about it. Yeah, I'm not going to bore you guys with the details, mainly because you just can't understand this <laughs> level of intelligence that we've come up with. But basically, you know what a computer is, right? Like you guys no. know what a microphone is, right? I don't think so. Okay, so in case you don't know what a computer is, it's basically two hours later. Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Matt Strong and Allie Terry. Welcome to the very special quarantine episode, you guys. If this audio sounds a little fucked up, we're doing our best. How many times have we tried to do this, Natalia? How many times have we tried to record this episode? A lot. I don't know. I really don't want to. I don't even want to bring it up. The last one, we were so frustrated that we, we ended up just bitching at each other. And we had to delete the whole intro. So I don't yeah. even think we should just bring it fucking up because it was. Look, we're in a good space right now. I see the recording is working. The volume is my working. Phone is working. I'm recording from my house and I'm looking at this unopened uh, gold detector that we bought for a lot of money. Uh, before we went to Area 51 and I remember looking at you and being like should I get this like it's like 150 bucks and you were like well it's on sale and then I was like yeah but like are we gonna use it and you were like just get it and then you were looked at me and you were like should I get this cornhole and I was like oh yeah I think you should just get it and like neither one of us ever opened either one of those things okay but the but the idea was so funny you guys this is what we were going to do I was going to take Cornhole to the Area 51 gates, set it up. We were going to play Cornhole. Natalia was going to get out her metal detector, go find some unexploded right. mines because apparently there's mines all over the place at Area 51 yeah. and that's why they right. don't let you go past the gate unless the guy was bullshitting us. But I feel like it makes sense because they've got aliens yeah. there for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 100%. I would put I would put all kinds of booby traps if I knew I had an alien. Yeah, you're right. We didn't use any of it. <laughs> but it's not too late. But someday. Yeah, it's not too late. You guys, speaking of which, where do you want us to go next? Because I've seen some people, every time I we do can't. an AMA. We oh, can't even go anywhere. Oh. Well, once we get out of quarantine, right. where do you guys want us to go? And speaking of quarantine, Natalia, for anyone listening in the year 2070, why are we on quarantine right now? Because someone released a harmful virus into the entire world and nobody was prepared for it so everyone has to stay inside and try to slow the flatten the curve so that our hospitals don't get overwhelmed with people who can't breathe so we're all staying inside wow Natalia, right? that was perfect is that right yeah well I, th- I don't think they know what started it but but they think that maybe a like a pangolin do you know what that is it looks like an armadillo yeah Okay. It looks like so a dinosaur. Think, yeah. So like maybe a pangolin ate a bat or a pangolin was like living in a cage with a bat and they like got it, like got the coronavirus from the bat somehow. Just a euphemism for the creation of this entire universe. There was just a bunch yeah. of stuff 
and then all of a sudden it mixed together and somehow some way new life was formed and that's how we got the virus we are the virus i fucking hate that but i love the meme i love have you seen that meme that's like the earth is returning back to normal we are the virus and it'll be like a water bottle with a turtle in it like a sea turtle like a a cartoon of like a lisa frank sea turtle in the water bottle (laughs) yeah i mean honestly this coronavirus has produced some of the best memes of all time also speaking of coronavirus i don't have coronavirus but i got tested for it yeah Alyssa, i remember in the group the group chat was really lit for about two to four days because (laughs) Alyssa said hey guys i'm going in to get tested for corona i'll have the results in two to four days and everyone was like bitch you can't just say that like and not like explain what the fuck is going on well now that we're recording i can finally explain to you what the fuck was going on yeah so okay so two maybe two weeks ago i felt like i had a sinus infection which is super common for me ever since we went to scotland remember you got that horrible sinus infection that was the first time i'd ever had a sinus infection we encountered some strain of bacteria or virus in scotland that our little american bodies was not we're not used it was like the purge inside my body after that i think that was was Oktoberfest. that's what did it no it was scotland it was when we went to were those two different trips yeah those were two different trips scotland was see scotland was in 2017 Kids, this is why you should not smoke weed when your brain is developing. This is what it did to me. I have not smoked weed in a long time, but look. (laughs) (laughs) To me, it just all runs together because I was like, oh, it's kind of cold. It's kind of wet. Everyone was like white and kind of hot, like Scotland, Germany. I think we've just described Europe to a T. (laughs) To bring it back, last Friday, I was having trouble breathing but I like not so bad that you like are freaking out, you know, like I wasn't turning blue. Right. It just felt really heavy in my chest. And so like pressure, yeah, like pressure. But I have asthma. So I was thinking, OK, maybe I have like bronchitis or something. This is also sidetracked, but I don't have asthma. But if I were to take an inhaler, would I be able to like super breathe? It depends on what your lung function is without it. If you're because your lung function can only go up to 100 percent. So if you already have. 100% lung function it's not going to do anything for you it's just going to make your heart beat really fast I just want to be like Usain Bolt yeah like I want to like I just like want to like not do anything for six months and then run outside and set a world and have record. it be fine yeah. yeah I haven't run in like two years we're getting sidetracked okay so the point is yeah we okay are. so I wasn't feeling well last Friday but you kind of can't go into the doctor right now like everywhere is closed because they don't want to expose themselves to corona and they don't want you to expose yourself to corona so I was like trying to just wait it out and see like maybe this is just anxiety or I don't know and then on whenever I texted you guys I called an urgent care and I was like hey these are the symptoms I'm having I don't think I have coronavirus I I have asthma I think I have like asthmatic bronchitis or like maybe something else in my lungs but I don't think it's corona and the lady was like taking down all of my symptoms it was a telemedicine where like they Skype you basically Mm, and then she was like okay well let's go over your medical history and because of I mean, anyone who follows me on social media knows I just have like a plethora of medical problems. Were you just like, okay, are you sitting yeah. down? <laughs> I was like, how how deep do you want me to get into oh, everything wrong with my body? Um, and, and then she was like, yeah, so you're what we call high risk. And so I'm going to need you to like go get a coronavirus test. So the next day you have to make an appointment and it's a drive through. So you get in your car. 
and you wait in your car, you pull up and you roll down your window and the, there's three doctors and they talk to you about like your symptoms and your medical history and verify that you really need the test because there's not enough tests for everybody right now. And then they stick this really long Q-tip up your left nostril and it goes really, really far back. Like my left. Uh, I'm going to throw it. <laughs> my... I don't know. I don't know if you can describe this in much more. It goes up into your sinuses. It, it just goes all the way back. Like, no, I, I can't. <laughs> like you can feel okay. it hitting the back. And... I'm taking my headphones okay, off. Wait, okay, I'm done. I'm done. Except for then. Okay. And my left eye was just like watering, like crying. But I'm not trying. I'm like trying to not be a pussy. So I'm just like sitting there like and they they tell you before they do it. The nurse was like, okay, so this isn't going to be comfortable. Just make sure you don't grab my arm because if you grab my- Shut up. I can't. No, I, take a, I took my headphones off. <laughs> she's not because listening. she's like, if no, you I'm, grab you my- You continue telling the story. If you grab my arm, what's going to happen is the Q-tip is going to get jostled and it's going to like hurt even more because it's going to poke <sighs> you in like I'm gonna throw different up. areas. No, but well, it's I'm going to throw up. I, I'm serious. Well, that's the end. Did you hear in Beverly Hills, they made it so you have to wear a yeah, mask when you're out? I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, side note, this is exciting for me. I went for a run the other uh -huh. day and I the with my dog and uh there was a guy and he was like looking at my dog and he was like look at, to his son on his lap and he was like look how beautiful he is like oh look at his Aww. little eyes, his different colored eyes and the kids was smiling and stuff. It was fucking Jason Statham. What? Yeah, he looked my dog and me in the eyes. I was walking with my friend Chloe, the girl that has the ghost in her house that eats the ramen. Yeah, 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 the ramen yeah. ghost. Yeah, exactly. And we both looked at each other and I was like, that guy was really hot. He looked just like Jason Statham. And she was like, it was Jason Statham. And I was like, oh, he's really hot. Oh, that's so Jason Statham likes your dog. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, you need to put that on your tombstone. Honestly, <laughs> my dog can get it from Jason Statham. <laughs> Okay, but, oh, it. but I wanted to say that. Yeah. So the moral of the story is I don't have coronavirus, but I do have pneumonia, but I'm doing so much better, <laughs> but I'm doing so much better and I'm feeling great. But if my voice is going in and out during this recording, that is why. If it like gets scratchy yeah. or if it gets higher or lower, that's why okay. I have to find well, different I, pitches. I appreciate you finding your like using your pneumonia to help you. Oh, yeah. You know, express. Yourself. Well, the positive was that because they thought I had coronavirus. I had to self-isolate. And so I couldn't go to work. And so I just had way too much time on my hands to research the topic that I'm going to be telling you today. And so it's it's very in-depth. I went down some rabbit holes. Okay. Well, good. Let's 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 go to it. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, do we want to talk? Let's save this. Do we want to quickly promote the Shein live stream? Uh, sure. You promote it really quickly. Okay, guys. So next week, we are going to be in two live streams for the company Shein. If you don't know what we're talking about, in episode 34, we talk about who Shein is and like the really awesome opportunity that we got through their company. Shein, you guys, is a really big company they're like a billion dollar corporation and they're taking a chance on letting Alyssa and I live stream for their like little app or whatever and if we nail this and get it we it leads to opportunities for us to make more money with them doing this and that could probably fund our podcast thing since lord knows we don't have a producer and we're probably not going to have one anytime soon <laughs> just because of the way that things are. So, you know what? Like, just go and support it. I don't give a fuck if you don't know what that is or you don't care about clothes or you don't care about home accessories or whatever. Just fucking go just because we're there. You know? Yeah. That's it. Okay. So on the 18th, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we will be on the Instagram live on the Shein, um, at Shein, I guess. And then, but also we'll, it's going to be me on the Let's Get Haunted account and 
Natalia on the Shein account. So if you follow Let's Get Haunted, you can just like wait for it to say Let's Get Haunted just is going live. Follow Let's Get Haunted. We'll give all the deets on. Yeah, them. and it's going to be five minute ghost stories. So it's going to be definitely within our wheelhouse, within your guys's interests. And then on the twenty first, yeah. we're going to be promoting some Shein products on their app. It's going to be uh, a more PG rated version of this podcast because we can't cuss on any of the content that we put out for them, which makes sense. Also, they told us they were like, um, be careful about any con like content or with trigger words or things about death, just because right now people are really nervous. And Alyssa was like, uh, the thing, the, the, the <laughs> death is like literally, uh, the precursor to every story that we have, but okay. <laughs> I know that's the thing. I was texting to Tali, I was like, man, they really picked the wrong duo if they want us yeah. to talk about ghosts, but not death, the thing that causes ghosts like there are no ghosts without death although in the last episode we covered you talked about why that's wrong yeah so you know what maybe jokes on me here are all of the people that have donated to our podcast that this year and made it possible for us to record remotely because we use these donations to buy natalia a microphone Haley c mike z sarah r gabby v victoria l mike z ashton c everett j jane v marco m daryl d hannah m trevor r marissa g caitlin h lauren m jenna c madison f heather b casey s brielle s kathleen g i'm gonna burn uh Alyssa s it's red rum gabriella o harrison g krista d willow p madison f Lauren E. M. Slay. Mary E. Slay. Ephraim P. Slay. Caesar C. Slay. Tyler K. Slay. Woo! Slay. Thank Slay. you guys. We love you. This is not possible without you. We may be struggling, but we would be struggling way more if it weren't for you guys. So thank you so Nothing's much. possible without you guys. We literally We can't do anything you. without you, and we love you so much, and yeah. we don't take you for granted at all. If you if you do want to donate to us, you can Venmo us at DogMomUSA or at NatStrong. Just make sure you or cash app. Or Ooh, at what's your cash money app? sign? Natalia Strawn. Or coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash dogmomusa. Or PayPal at paypal.me slash natstrawn. And if you're donating to us on any of those platforms, just make sure you put in the comments that it is for Let's Get Haunted because Natalia and I both have side projects Mm -hmm. going on and sometimes it can get confusing if you don't specify what it's for. Slay. Awesome. Okay. Thank you guys. All right, Natalia. So now let's get into today's story. And I just want to tell you that the story I'm about to tell you today, I was doing so much research while sick and I had the most nightmares I've ever had in my life after researching what I'm going to talk about with you today. Okay, do it. I'm ready. Fuck me up. Natalia, the story I'm going to tell you today takes place in a country called Vietnam. Have you ever heard of Vietnam? I've been to Vietnam. Where have you been in Vietnam? I forgot that you went there. Yeah, I've been all all over the fucking place. Ho Chi Minh City, Hanoi, uh, all the other places I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) When did you go? What year? Remember in the beginning when I was saying like how I used to smoke a lot of weed? Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. So like things like what year did I go? It's not like that's not how my brain works. If you ask me like what what hair I had my hair was long and brown oh this was a while ago it was in college yes so you've already been to Vietnam I have never been did you enjoy it I mean I'm assuming yeah I mean it was amazing um I love actually so Southeast Asia is my favorite like 
area of the globe that I've been to. I haven't been everywhere, but that's been my favorite place because the food is awesome. The people are awesome. Um, it's like tropical climate and I really like that sort of weather. And, uh, there's just really cool culture everywhere you go and the people are really spiritual and it's just, um, you know, you know, I mean, like I love Asian culture and then the Southeast Asian culture is like the tropical of the Asian cultures. Right. So it's like the beautiful fun times. Yeah. And Halong Bay. That's like one of the UNESCO's World Heritage Sites. I've been there, too. So, so. you're the perfect person for me to tell this story to because you already know a lot about Vietnam, uh-huh. but some of our listeners might not know a lot about Vietnam. So let's start with a little bit of background on Vietnam before we work our way into the topic that I have for you today, Natalia. Okay. So Vietnam, or the Socialist Republic of Vietnam, is the easternmost country on the Southeast Asian Indochinese Peninsula. With an estimated 95.5 million inhabitants as of 2018, it is the 15th most populous country in the world, which I did not know. Vietnam shares its land borders with China to the north and Laos and Cambodia to the west. It shares its maritime border with Thailand through the Gulf of Thailand and the Philippines, Indonesia, and Malaysia through the South China Sea. Its capital city is Hanoi, while its most populous city is Ho Chi Minh City, also known by its former name of Saigon. The national language of Vietnam is Vietnamese. Its ethnic group breakdown is 85.7% Vietnamese, and the other 14.3% is made up of 53 minorities, most of which are ethnic minority groups native to Vietnam. A good portion of the population is not affiliated with any religion, but the top three religions in the country are folk, Buddhism, and Christianity. Vietnamese folk religion, or Vietnamese indigenous religion, Tanism, is the ethnic religion of the Vietnamese people. About 45.3% of the population in Vietnam are associated with this religion, making it dominant in Vietnam. Vietnamese folk religion is not an organized religious system, but rather a set of local worship traditions devoted to the Tan, a term which can be translated as spirits, gods, or generative powers. These gods can be nature deities or national community or kinship deities or ancestral gods and the ancestral gods of a specific family. The Vietnamese indigenous religion is sometimes identified as Confucianism since it carries values that were emphasized by Confucius. Now, it's impossible to talk about Vietnam without briefly discussing the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War was and is extremely controversial. According to the Washington Post, the Vietnam War is the second most unpopular war in American history, right behind the war in Afghanistan. The Vietnam War took place between 1954 and 1975. It was a long, costly, and divisive conflict that pitted the communist government of North Vietnam and its allies in South Vietnam, known as the Viet Cong, against South Vietnam and its principal ally, the United States. The conflict was intensified by the ongoing Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union. In the West, we all know this war as the Vietnam War, but in Vietnam, it was known as the American War, or in its full name, the War Against the Americans to Save the Nation. More than 3 million people, including over 58,000 Americans, were killed in the Vietnam War, and more than half of the dead were Vietnamese civilians. According to a survey by the Veterans Administration, some 500,000 of the 3 million troops who served in Vietnam suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, and rates of divorce, suicide, alcoholism, and drug addiction were markedly higher among veterans. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, at the heart of the conflict was the desire of North Vietnam, which had defeated the French colonial administration of Vietnam in 1954, 
to unify the entire country under a single communist regime modeled after those of the Soviet Union and China. The South Vietnamese government, on the other hand, fought to preserve a Vietnam more closely aligned with the West. U.S. military advisors, present in small numbers throughout the 1950s, were introduced on a large scale beginning in 1961, and active combat units were introduced in 1965. By 1969, more than 500,000 U.S. military personnel were stationed in Vietnam. Meanwhile, the Soviet Union and China poured weapons, supplies, and advisors into the North, which in turn provided support, political direction, and regular combat troops for the campaign in the South. The costs and casualties of the growing war proved too much for the United States to bear, and U.S. combat units were withdrawn in 1973. In 1975, South Vietnam fell to a full-scale invasion by the North. The human costs of the long conflict were harsh for all involved. Not until 1995 did Vietnam release its official estimate of war dead, as many as 2 million civilians on both sides and some 1.1 million North Vietnamese and Viet Cong fighters. The U.S. military has estimated that between 200,000 and 250,000 South Vietnamese soldiers died in the war. In 1982, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial was dedicated in Washington, D.C., inscribed with the names of 57,939 members of U.S. armed forces who had died or were missing as a result of the war. Over the following years, additions to the list have brought the total past 58,200. Among other countries that fought for South Vietnam on a smaller scale, South Korea suffered more than 4,000 dead, Thailand about 350 dead, Australia more than 500 dead, and New Zealand some three dozen. Okay, so that was a lot of information, I know. So let's recap really quickly. Depending on which source we believe, the number of casualties of the Vietnam War or the American War is anywhere between 3 million and 6 million. The majority of the casualties seem to be innocent civilians, but military personnel also make up a huge chunk of the dead, obviously. And what's interesting about this is that the military personnel who died really came from all walks of life because of the number of countries that were involved in this conflict. Are you about to tell me a story of ghosts from the Vietnam War? Yeah, I am. <laughs> okay, that was like the creepiest face you just made. Like, Why was that like a sexual experience for, for, for I you? Spent I spent so like? long researching the shit out of this topic and I'm so excited for somebody to listen to it because I have been self-isolated in my bedroom for over a week like taking my emergency inhaler like every four hours. Yes. Wear. And I've had, okay, you know how I've talked before on this podcast about how I've never had sleep paralysis before? Like I've never had a sleep paralysis demon. Right. Uh, I had one because of this story that I'm about to tell you. Oh. Okay. okay. You ready? Yeah, that's what happened to me after Bell Witch. Yeah. So. Yeah. Bell Witch was a fucking nightmare as well. Okay. Here we go. So, like I just said, we're talking about Vietnamese casualties, both northern Vietnamese soldiers and their southern Viet Cong allies, and southern quote-unquote freedom fighters who were teamed up with America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Korea, and Thailand, just to name a few. And I want to digress just a little bit, Natalia, and just tie this into something that you talked about last month in your Japanese Urban Legends episode. Ooh. In that episode, you asked me if I thought ghosts were different according to their human culture counterpart. Yeah. And I think we both agreed that, yes, ghost culture, for lack of a better term, is going to be just as diverse mm -hmm. as human culture, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you think of all of these different people from different cultures and different countries dying on such a large scale in this one place? haunted 
haunted as hell there's no way for it to not be haunted right yeah right yeah uh that's gonna be really haunted i was kind of thinking about it when i was researching this and i really can't think of anything more haunted than war because you're talking about bad vibes all over it bad vibes doesn't matter what you believe in it doesn't matter what side of the conflict you're on and so that's why i just want to make it it's murder yeah it's murder and yeah it's murder yeah it's horrible and also when you talk about like civilian deaths Mm -hmm. i mean it's terrible and destruction of economies destruction of historical buildings like just devastation and so this podcast does not take any position on on any war i think um anything we cover that's historical we make very clear like we are just telling you what is going on in the story and not interjecting our opinions this is the most unbiased news source you could possibly have the only bias we have is that ghosts are fucking real (laughs) It is unsurprising then that many, many hauntings and ghost stories in Vietnam have their origins in this war. So many people died in so many horrific ways, no matter which way you look at it or what opinion you have. Before going into some specific stories of hauntings, I want to talk about some of the cultural beliefs held by the Vietnamese regarding death, afterlife, and spirits. According to Wikipedia, which is our favorite source, as all of our listeners know, Mm -hmm. ghosts in Vietnam are known to take on many forms and do not fit one category. It is generally understood that ghosts are people who have undergone unnatural, premature, painful, or violent deaths, and especially when people die away from home. This differs from the concept of ancestors who would have died a good death in their homes with the proper rituals in place. The souls in Vietnam are understood to need certain items in the afterlife in order to function, just like the living. These include offers of paper money, food, clothing, shoes, housing, and bicycles, to name a few. Souls that receive the proper rituals are buried in a good location with a proper tombstone and have their tablet installed on the family's ancestor altar. And these people who have these proper rites performed will become ancestors, will be nourished by the family, and will reciprocate by continuing to help the family and its members prosper. Those who don't receive these proper rituals will become ghosts instead of ancestors, and are thought to roam the countryside in hordes, stealing what they can along the way. In this sense, they are seen as the supernatural equivalent of robbers. How fucking (gasps) cool is that? A supernatural robber? Yeah. I'm super into that. So from what I was researching, apparently you if you're a ghost, it's like a negative thing. Like you did not receive your prop- proper rights. You right. are just wandering aimlessly in like a bandit of ghosts, possibly. And you're just like robbing and like taking what you can. And then if you're an ancestor, then you've got all the proper stuff in place and you're watching over right, your family. You yeah, you don't need to rob because yeah. your family's giving you like, everything. I don't need a bicycle. I've got, I've got a bicycle. My family gave me a bicycle. Yeah. Okay. They are therefore also called hungry ghosts. There are many, many ghost stories that explain the manner in which ghosts haunt the people of Vietnam, and today we're going to be talking about some of those. So something interesting about Vietnamese um, superstition or Vietnamese cultural belief about ghosts is that ghosts are especially present in turns in the road where car accidents occur on a regular basis. There is a general understanding that it is at these places that ghosts pop out in front of cars, causing them to go off the road or hit oncoming cars. And so now I'm going to tell you a personal ghost story about car accidents um, involving ghosts that I found. So there's this website called yourghoststories.com, which is so cool. And they have ghost stories 
um, that people can submit according to what country they're from. Whoa. So this ghost story is called My Mother's Experiences, and it's by a person named No Tamang Sheep, and it was submitted in 2014. Background, I'm 27 years old and have never had any personal experiences. However, I find the possibility fascinating and frequently read the wonderful stories here and ask about stories from people that I see as honest and trustworthy people. These stories are from my mother, who I frequently talk to about her life in Vietnam because I want to be able to pass down the history to my children. Some of her stories are fascinating and happen to be of the paranormal type. My mother is Catholic and is on the fence about paranormal happenings because of her religion. She's very smart and level-headed and does not embellish stories that she recounts. Anyway, this story is about my grandfather. My mom's family was quite privileged in Vietnam and her father always hung out with the quote-unquote right people and knew how to talk. One day, he and his wife, my grandmother, were going out to have a drink and dinner with their friends, another couple. My grandfather always brought his own bottles and carried a large bottle of liquor with him. When he got out of the car, he dropped the bottle on accident, which according to my mom was very unusual because he always made sure to hold bottles securely, and the bottle shattered. Well, now out of liquor, my grandfather said he would just go buy another. He always got the expensive, real liquor. There are many fakes in Vietnam that are filled with other things but sport the same brand. But since he knew people, he always knew where to go for the genuine liquor. His friend said that it wasn't necessary. He had a bottle at home and they could eat at his place. The friend suggested that he and my grandpa go in one car and the girls in the other. His friend's car was a Cadillac and that was pretty rare to see back then. Well, as they were driving down a road, which my mom says always had many accidents, my grandfather begins to go in and out of the lane that he's in. His friend says nothing at first, but wonders why he's doing this because there's no traffic on the road. Finally, after a few times of my grandfather weaving in and out of his lane, his friend says, What are you doing? My grandfather says, I'm trying to avoid those kids on the bike. This was late at night. It was two kids wearing white pajamas, and it looked to be a brother and a sister. The friend doesn't see them, but somehow the kids keep managing to catch up with the car. They're riding in the same direction, according to my grandfather. My grandfather starts arguing with his friend, saying, Right there! Look, they're right there! and the friend insists that he doesn't see anybody. The last time my grandfather changed lanes, another car was coming the opposite direction <gasps> with four people from a wedding party, and he hit them head on. No. They died instantly, no. and my grandfather was also pronounced dead at the scene. No. His friend was injured, but lived. Now back then, if you were dead, they would pull you out and leave you on the side of the road. My grandfather had the steering column go through his chest. <gasps> No. My grandmother and her friends are driving behind them and see the hood of the Cadillac. The friend's wife notices the Cadillac's hood, again a rare car at the time, and the girls pull up to the scene. My grandma picks up my grandfather and pleads a taxi driver to take him to the nearest hospital. From what my mother said, it's rare that anyone would have helped them out because he was dead. The taxi driver took pity and helped take my grandfather to the hospital, where he is ignored and laid out in the hallway because he is already dead. My grandmother pleads with doctors to help him when finally one Japanese doctor miraculously decided to take my grandfather in and ended up saving his life. What? Wait, he came back to life? Yes. 
what the fuck? So the point of that story, the reason why I wanted to tell that story is because like we just talked about you, like one of the main offerings people give their ancestors is bicycles, right? Right. And there also there's also this cultural belief that ghosts are super active in bins or curves in the road where car accidents happen. So this is an example of somebody whose grandfather saw two ghosts that his friend couldn't see dressed in white on bicycles weaving in and out of lanes on a bend in a road and it caused a car accident like this is just the perfect example of like a cultural belief in action right i like i like that belief they're basically saying like <laughs> corners and turns on the road are sketch they're haunted that's where ghosts yeah. live and i can like identify with that's the kind of belief system yeah so did that did that story give you chills because it, that story the totally first time did. i heard it well, yeah, I, there was just so many twists and turns. At first, I was like, oh, the grandpa's drunk, you know, like and she was saying how it, he dropped a bottle and then the, his uh, wife was like, it was really uncharacteristic of him to drop and shatter bottles on the ground. He usually holds them tightly. And I was like, bitch, doesn't everyone do that? What are you talking about? But then they got me. They had me in the second half, you know. They were talking about how like how he died and everyone was like, he's dead. And the taxi driver was like, he's dead. And he went to the hospital and they laid him out and they're like, he's dead. And then the Japanese doctor was like, no, I, th I think I see something. Maybe the Japanese doctor was haunted. I mean, that or the steering wheel through the chest. That's like final destination. Absolutely. And somebody in the comments, because mm -hmm. this website allows you to tell your ghost story and it's divided by country. So if you like are super interested, if you're going to go visit a country, go on this website and then click on the country you're going Going to and read people's ghost stories and ghost experiences but um somebody in the comments right. it's like trip advisor but ghost advisor yeah but about ghosts yeah and so somebody in the comments was like well do you think your grandpa could have been drunk and the girl responded and she said no that was what my grandma thought when he came back to life and told her this story about how he saw these ghost children on bicycles i mean um, whether or not he was drunk it, it like after the second half of the story is literally not relevant because he literally came yeah. back to life. So like, right. even if he was just totally wasted off his ass, him coming back to life is like haunted as fuck. Right. Absolutely. But yeah, he wasn't drunk because I guess they ran a toxicology report on him at the hospital and he wasn't drunk. Even more so haunted. Even more haunted. Okay, let's continue. So in Vietnam, ghosts are also viewed as aids to fortune tellers and spirit mediums because they help them to gain an understanding about people's lives. Vietnamese will visit spirit mediums and fortune tellers in order to gain insight into their finances or love life, for example. Spirit mediums also aid in locating dead relatives who have not received proper burials. The belief in ghosts have affected how the Vietnamese deal with missing in action soldiers. The Vietnam War caused many soldiers not to return home, as well as not receiving proper burials in their home communities. The graves of the unknown mark the landscape of Vietnam and can be found on footpaths, in family gardens, and in fields. Many remain unmarked. As a result, ghosts of the soldiers are said to wander these areas. There is now a great desire to discover where the remains of the deceased are located and to bring them home to their villages for reburial. However, the communist government of Vietnam views beliefs in ghosts as culturally backward and morally lax. What? Ghost stories in the media and commemoration rituals are highly discouraged. Spirit mediums will be used by families looking for their loved ones as well as ghosts looking for their families. There is a strong desire to find missing people so that they may have a good resting place where the family can make offerings to the deceased. There is an idea that ghosts and their families cannot be at peace with the person's death until they are found and have a proper burial and grave. 
Over the last number of years, many remains of dead soldiers have been found. The bodies are then exhumed and reburied in their home communities. Often there are formal military funerals where the soldiers are given full military honors because they are considered martyrs. One of the most common rituals and practices for dealing with ghosts is to burn incense and offer prayers. This is done for the various unknown ghosts who have been seen or are thought to be buried in the area. This would happen whenever a villager passed by the location of ghost sightings. Although this is one of the most common rituals for dealing with ghosts, it is not always effective. Another method for dealing with a ghost is to bring in a ritual specialist who will recite incantations called Kaochu in order to make the ghost leave. Hmm. Before the specialist recites the incantations, offerings of sticky rice will be made to hungry ghosts to prevent them from interfering. This practice of making offerings to hungry ghosts is also common at funerals so that the offerings are not stolen by ghosts. <laughs> so it's interesting because so if somebody dies and you're holding a funeral for them, and so like presumably this would be like a friend or a family member, right? Yeah. Then you want to give them their offerings like we talked about, like the paper money and the food and the bicycles and whatever, whatever. Right. But if the fear is if there are hungry ghosts, which are ghosts that are not at rest in the area, they're going to be attracted to those offerings because they haven't received any offerings. Right. Because nobody, you know, like they haven't gotten their proper burials. So they're going to try to come and steal those offerings from your ancestor. So that's why they'll like put out like a separate plate of sticky rice to for, distract them. Yeah. Uh-huh, to distract the hungry ghosts. I mean, I'm not even a ghost, and if there's a plate of sticky rice just out for grabs, like, I'm kind of down. So I could see how that would be super tempting. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now I want to talk about some some of the Vietnamese customs when it comes to how they handle death and funerals and their feelings about the afterlife. So the Vietnamese, like many Asian cultures, believe in making a person comfortable in the afterlife, and they think that this is like the most important thing that you can do. Graves are ideally built above the ground, often in accordance with feng shui, near a stream or near water, and in sight of a mountain. A variety of grave sites dot the countryside of Vietnam. Many graves are merely round piles of dirt in the form of a circle and may be found in rice paddies, on hillsides, or in other places in nature. The Vietnamese believe that the individual must earn the right to be buried and will therefore often bury the deceased at a prime location on his land. They will then farm around the grave. Those who are financially able often erect barriers and decorations around the grave, utilizing the same type of materials and decorations found on pagodas and temples. Wisdom dictates that extra trouble be taken to avoid needless desecration of graves. Respect for grave sites not only promotes a good neighbor policy, but reveals a feeling for Vietnamese beliefs. According to these beliefs, desecration of a grave not only affects the physical site itself, but angers the spirits who might directly attack the living. It is for the latter reason that any destruction of graves, purposeful or accidental, should be remedied without delay. So I'm going to read you this article that I found. It was published on HuffPost.com, mm. and it's written by a woman named Violet Coopersmith, mm -hmm. and the article is called A Beginner's Guide to Vietnamese Ghosts. Oh! Vietnamese ghosts aren't that scary as long as you know what it is that they want. <laughs> if it isn't staying dead, then there's probably a reason. And all you have to do is give the ghost the thing that it's seeking. Revenge, redemption, a resolution. Back in Vietnam, my grandmother and great-grandmother were often paid unexpected visits by inhabitants of the spirit world. My favorite of their stories is the one about three men from their small coastal village who were lost at sea during a particularly bad storm. For days, everyone scoured the shoreline looking for the bodies and wreckage from their boat, but found no sign of it. 
And then, late one night, my great-grandmother was woken by a clanging, howling ruckus from the kitchen. When she crept down to investigate, she discovered that the three ghosts of the missing men had taken out all her pots and pans and were there banging away on them like a spectral percussion ensemble. Over the clatter, they called out to her the name of the place where their bodies had washed ashore. The next day, my great-grandmother and some of the villagers ventured out to the location that the ghosts had named, and lo and behold, the remains of the three bodies were there. The men were all given proper funerary rites, and their spirits were finally laid to rest. It's a tidy little tale where, in the end, everyone got what they needed. It's the ghost without a clear purpose that frightens me, and those are the ones who tend to populate the stories that I encountered during my solo travels around Vietnam after college. I realized that these were not the kinds of ghosts that my great-grandmother knew, in the same way that the country I was discovering bore little resemblance to the war-torn place she and her family had fled in 1975. The post-war ghosts didn't seem to follow the logical behavior of those ghosts of the old tales, and what's even more unsettling about the stories is the nonchalance with which they are told. For example, I finally got rid of the little ghost girl in my room, one of my Viet friends announced to me over coffee some time ago, in the casual way a person might say, I finally got rid of the squirrels in my attic. My response to hearing this must have seemed like an overreaction to him, but in my defense, I was still new to the land and to the idea that here ghosts weren't a superstition, they were a fact. I begged him for a full account. My friend complied, prefacing the story with the disclaimer that his ghost was not terribly exciting, just your everyday pedestrian phantom. <laughs> Nevertheless, it is the only one that still gives me nightmares regularly. I would see her in my sleep, he began matter-of-factly. Not dreams, exactly. These felt too real to be dreams. But while having them, I knew that I was sleeping. My body was unconscious, but I was fully aware on the inside. It was like I was able to see with my eyes closed. I would see my own room, and from where I was lying in my bed, and everything was as it should be. That's when the ghost, this pale little girl with braids and crooked teeth, <gasps> would climb out of the wall directly no. across from my bed. The wall across from me would start splitting no, about three no. feet from the floor, and then it would part like a curtain, no. and she slipped out. Even though I could see her, I couldn't move or cry out or do anything because my body was still sleeping. The girl would crawl across the floor over to the bed, and then she would inch her way up over my no! legs and sit on top what of my fuck? chest. She would just perch there, cross-legged, staring down at me silently, sometimes smiling and sometimes not, all while I was frozen in one place. This would go on for hours, and then eventually dawn would arrive, and I would wake up and be able to move again, and the girl would be gone and my wall was intact, but my chest would hurt and my body would be sore all over. What did she want from you? I asked. He shrugged. Who knows? After five nights of it, I went to seek a monk for advice. He told me that sleeping with a knife under my pillow would keep it away. <laughs> I did, and the ghost stopped coming. It's been almost a week now since I've seen her. Then my friend finished his coffee, changed the subject of conversation, and never mentioned the incident again. There was nothing at all gruesome about my friend's story. A ghost that just sits on you doesn't seem to be particularly dangerous. But what preys on my mind is that the ghost is not gone for good. It's just waiting. No. Somewhere in those walls. No. The night you forget the knife under your pillow, she will be back. No. And there is nothing you can give her to make her stop. Because even she doesn't seem to know what she's looking for. So that's fucking terrifying. Yeah. That's honestly one of the most well-written, right. scary yeah. ghost stories I've I've read so far. Natalia, what are your thoughts on that? I felt like exactly the way that I felt for the the Watcher story. I was like, 
just the fact that this is so well done makes me skeptical because I feel like the majority of ghost stories that I've heard from people are like, okay, so this one time, okay, wait, 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 no, 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 no. let me go back to the beginning. So <laughs> I used to live on a ranch. Well, when I was a kid, well, okay, so my mom, you know what I mean? Like, they're just like the worst stories. Well, that's what I one, like about Vietnamese ghost stories, though, is that because it's so good. matter of fact, like they're yeah. like, yeah, ghosts are real. And I saw a ghost. Right. So then we it like, skip over that. yeah, exactly. I So here's the thing that I thought was really f- interesting, though, is that the ghost just doesn't know what it wants or anything. But then it sees the knife under the pillow and it's like, well, maybe I don't fuck with this person. Right. It's weird. Yeah. It's like if it's not attached to the physical world, right? Like it can literally part the physical wall and come out of the wall but it's afraid of something that only exists in the physical world which is the knife underneath the pillow you know like there's something interesting about it I don't know that is interesting that's a good point yeah Yeah. I mean maybe the ghost because it's a child still think still is afraid of things that would harm it in the physical world like it doesn't fully understand that it's a ghost I don't know yeah or maybe it doesn't realize yeah maybe it real doesn't realize that what it's doing is fucking scary and so but it understands that like a knife underneath the pillow is like don't fuck with me right exactly where if he was unable to move and maybe the ghost didn't even know that he was aware um that that they were sitting on top of them right yeah he's like out of his body and can't move so but then sees the knife under the pillow and is like oh actually maybe i'm not as secret as i thought i was but this author like has a super good point that is the scariest type of ghost right like you don't know what it wants so there's nothing you can do to appease it you just have to keep it at bay by like putting a knife under your pillow but like she said if you forget the knife it's coming back because it doesn't know what it wants this is like my ex yeah (laughs) it's like what the fuck do you want why do you keep coming back randomly Dude, that's why relationships, as we talk about all the time on this podcast, are super fucking haunted. Super haunted. All right, let's continue. Okay, so now I'm going to read you an article from the Asia Pacific Journal entitled The Ghosts of the American War in Vietnam by a man named um, Hionik Kwan. And I might be mispronouncing that. His name is spelled H-E-O-N-I-K last name K-W-O-N, and he actually wrote two articles that I'm going to be referencing throughout this episode. As you guys know, whenever we talk about um, ghost stories that are from other countries, especially if it's a ghost story that's more cultural in nature and not just like a narrative start to finish about something that happened, we always like to try to include perspectives of people living within that culture Mm -hmm. because we're not part of that culture, right? Right. So, for example, when Natalia did her awesome episode on the baby ghosts, she interviewed one of her friends whose family was from China. So for this episode, I really wanted to include these articles of Vietnamese people because their opinion and understanding of the ghosts is going to be expert as opposed to me, who's just someone who's super interested in this and thinks that it's spooky. So with with that aside, I'm going to read excerpts from these two articles by Honik Quan. The first one is called The Ghosts of the American War in Vietnam, and the second one is called Vietnam's South Korean Ghosts. The Vietnamese call what the outside world refers to as the Vietnam War, the American War, and many of them believe that the ghosts of those who died tragic deaths in this war abound in their living environment. While a generation has passed since the war ended in 1975, stories of apparitions and other assertive actions by these ghosts of war are common among rural communities. 
the places associated with a history of fierce battle or large-scale civilian killing are believed to harbor a mass of grievous and hungry ghosts. The rumors of spirit possession generate intense curiosity in the community about the spirit's identity and the meaning of the event. Consider one of the commonplace stories of an apparition from a rural area in the coastal central region. A man saw his late wife and children in the early morning on his way to the rice paddy. This was in the spring of 1993, and by this time some villagers had begun to remove the remains of their relatives from improper shallow wartime graves to newly prepared family graveyards. The apparition was at the site of the man's old house. The house was burned down during the tragic incident of a village massacre in early 1968 which destroyed his family. His wife, seated on a stone, greeted him somewhat scornfully. The three children were hidden behind her back, afraid that their parents might start quarreling. The meaning of this apparition was immediately clear to the man. He must rebury the remains of his lost family without delay. If he had no means to do so, according to the local interpretation of the apparition, the spirits would help him find a way. The man decided to spend the small sum of money that he had saved in the past years from selling coconuts and negotiated to obtain a loan from a neighbor. At that moment, a wealthy businesswoman and a relative of his wife arrived from a distant city and offered to share the cost of reburial. On the day of the reburial, the woman told the visitors how the family of spirits had appeared to her in a dream and urged her to pay a visit to their home. Whereas these spectral identities and their vigorous actions are common in villages and towns of Vietnam, their stories have rarely appeared in the public media. Like any modern nation-state, the state apparatus of Vietnam has looked down upon them as remnants of old superstitions and a sign of backwardness. John Law, the mid-19th century English writer, compiled a large number of stories of haunted houses that were then popular in European cities and set out to debunk them one by one. He hoped to prove through this exercise that the stories resulted from the delusion of the uneducated mind, and he proposed that the law and the government exercise their power to eradicate this, quote, madness of crowds. The post-colonial Vietnamese state has made enormous administrative and political efforts to pursue this military enlightenment way of thinking to battle against the traditional ritual customs and religious imaginations, first in the north after the independence of 1945, and then in the south and central regions after the unification of the country in 1975. The campaigns also strongly rejected any ideas and practices associated with ghosts. Until recently, making offerings to ghosts in public spaces and trading votive objects were considered criminal and were sometimes punished. Even in recent years, when the earlier punitive policy had been moderated, some ghost stories will still infuriate state officials. A journalist working for an official newspaper of a central province recently set out to investigate a rumor of spirit possession. His superiors quickly reprimanded him. There was nothing extraordinary about the rumor, which was about a man encountering the ghost of his brother. Such incidents can be widely heard across Vietnamese villages and towns. In this particular incident, the man was an acting official in the provincial communist party, and the ghost happened to be of his elder brother, who was killed in action as a soldier of the former South Vietnamese forces. The residents of Hamai, a village in central Vietnam, can tell many vivid stories about their war ghosts, their, quote, invisible neighbors, in the words of the local Taoist priest. The ghosts are a diverse lot. The apparition of a young mother with two small children is familiar to the villagers of Ha Ja, a village next to Hamai. Another is called Head Down, Feet Up, often spotted standing and moving on its head, which the locals attribute to the unconventional condition of its burial. <gasps> no, that is so creepy. I hate that. Right? That's super haunted, right? It's like a ghost break dancer. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes, a ghost breakdancer. Honestly, what is more haunted than breakdancing? <laughs> you're spinning around. You're defying gravity. You're doing shit that like humans shouldn't be able to do. I'm impressed by it. You're haunted. Right. Totally. Anything that's like moderately impressive is haunted to me because I'm like, that can't be what a human can do because I can't do that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Let's continue. Foreign ghosts also dwell around Hamai, including two extremely timid and perpetually hungry ghosts of American servicemen. But then there's the apparition of a non-Vietnamese-looking Asian man dressed in an American combat uniform. The locals speculate that this is the spirit of a South Korean soldier killed near a bomb crater, now used as a fish pond. Ghosts in Vietnam are called by various terms. There's Ma, Han, Han Ma, Bong Ma, Lin Han, Oan Han, or Bak Lin or Con Ma, translated in literature typically as lost souls or wandering souls. The idea of wandering in terms of wandering souls of the dead points to the imagined situation that these spirits are obliged to move between the periphery of this world and the fringe of another world. In short, ghosts are ontological refugees who are uprooted from home, which is a place where their memory can be settled. So to recap everything that we've learned so far, we've talked about this idea in Vietnamese culture that there are two different types of spirits, for lack of a better word. There are ancestors who are people that have received their proper funeral rites mm -hmm. and burial rites. Yeah. Um, they've had all of the proper things done. They have a resting place and they are honored by the family. They've passed over and now they're watching over the family. And then we have this concept of wandering souls or hungry ghosts. And these are the souls of people who died tragically and were unable to receive their proper funeral rites. And most of these ghosts have a purpose, which is something that we read in that first article. Most of these ghosts want something. And if you give them that thing, like in the example of the fishermen wanted their bodies to be found, that's why they came back and haunted as ghosts until their bodies could be properly buried. So in that example, it makes a lot of sense and it's, it's not a big deal. But then we have this idea of these restless spirits that kind of have no purpose and how do we deal with those and how do we take care of those? And I think everything that we've read so far in all of these articles indicates that people need to receive their proper burial rites. Otherwise, they become wandering souls. And that becomes really difficult when you're talking about a country that was involved in such a large, devastating violent war because we have all of these souls of soldiers from all over the world that their bodies are not identifiable or may not have been recovered or we're not sure who they are and we're still finding graves and bones to this day in certain parts of Vietnam. Right. Haunted. Yeah, like how are you supposed to give funeral rites to a body that you don't even realize is there and it might not even be the full body. It could be like, you know, a piece of a corpse that has been there that everyone has forgot about from some sort of like uh, explosion right or like just a pinky finger is all that's left or something you know what I mean and then yeah. it's like you don't see that bone because you're not looking for it and so that ghost is just like perpetually hungry perpetually wandering and the fact that you know we talked to you talked briefly about PTSD it's like some of these if the you know if People in the human realm, in the physical realm, can have PTSD where it's just like they have sort of like these nightmarish outbursts and they're not really sure like what triggers it or not. How like that's probably how the ghosts are too, you know, like they're not 
they're not at rest. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, if you're, I mean, anyone who has anxiety or panic disorder, sometimes you get panicked or you get super anxious and you're not even sure what's triggering yeah. you. So if you're a ghost, right. the same thing could be true. That's a great point. Yeah. So rites, ceremonies, and burial customs are all really important in Vietnamese culture. Natalia, what do you think of when you hear the term psychological warfare? Do you think the United States participates in psychological warfare yeah absolutely we know they do because we talked about this in mk ultra yeah exactly right so what do you think if what would you tell the audience if you could sum up the concept of psychological warfare what do you think like you would call it like what is it psychological warfare is basically gaslighting somebody at to at a point that's makes them believe that they don't understand what is real and what is not real and you can drive a person crazy there and that which could either damage their source of credibility to other people so if we're talking about someone who's like the leader of a country is now no longer seen as uh responsible by the people they might you know that takes away their power or it could be making someone feel crazy so that they are unsure of what decisions to make, which just further makes you know them less likely. It gives you an edge like in battle or competition over someone if they're not even sure what the fuck is going on. Right. So warfare, we always think of it as being physical, right? Like you drop a bomb or you stab someone with a sword or, you know, whatever. Right. But psychological warfare is talking about the mental aspect of war, scaring people without touching them, right? Like doing something to manipulate them. Mm-hmm. Um, to cause them to like, yeah, be in a tailspin mentally without even touching them. Yeah. And I mean, it's impossible to get anything done when you you can't be in the present moment. So I can only imagine in war, you literally have to be so present. You have to be taking in your surroundings. You have to be listening to what your commanding officers are telling you to do. You have to be listening to what the other soldiers around you and are doing. And plus, you have to be ready to act on your own volition if something changes in an instant. Like, you don't want that person to be in their head wondering about something that's not relevant. Perfect. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about psychological warfare. So the United States ran an extensive program of psychological warfare during the Vietnam War. According to Wikipedia, the Phoenix program was a program that they used during the Vietnam War, and it had the dual aim of assassinating the National Liberation Front of South Vietnam um, and also terrorizing any potential sympathizers or passive supporters. During the Phoenix program, over 19,000 Viet Cong supporters were killed. So first, let's talk about calling cards. So what are calling cards? Calling cards were used by U.S. troops in Vietnam as a form of psychological warfare. American soldiers would put playing cards in their helmets and, after killing a member of the Viet Cong, they would place the playing card, like from a deck of cards, with their unit number written on them inside the dead soldier's mouth or somewhere else on his body. Oh my god, that is so fucked up. That is really fucked up. Like, I've seen that in movies and I've, I've seen that in photos and stuff of them having the cards on their helmets and stuff. I mean, like, if you've seen any sort of Vietnam War movie, they had that, but I didn't realize that's what the tradition was. I mean, that's like that's like so dehumanizing that really goes to show you how horrible this war was like that the soldiers didn't even treat these people like they were human right yeah i mean it's and it's definitely exam an example of psychological warfare right like you've already killed the person why does it matter because you want their you want to scare the rest of them and be like look we are not a these people have no fear of death and they have no like they're savages you know like they would if you saw if one of your friends 
from your uh, platoon, I guess you would call it, died and you went and discovered their body and saw that it was being like the American soldiers had done that to it, you would be more terrified of those American soldiers because you'd be like, they have no respect. Yeah, right. Like you said, they're animals, right? Yeah, like they're savages. They're animals. The most commonly used card was the Ace of Spades. The Ace of Spades became a symbol of good luck for the 101st Airborne in World War II because of its good fortune in card games. But in the Vietnam War, it became a symbol of death and fear. This card was chosen after a legend began to spread among American soldiers that the North Vietnamese were superstitious of the Ace of Spades as a symbol of death and bad luck. Even though this was not true, the legend spread rapidly among American troops. In February of 1966, two tenants of Charlie Company 2nd Battalion 35th Infantry Regiment asked the U.S. playing card company Bicycle to send them 1,000 card decks with the Ace of Spades in them. The company sent them free of charge in crates labeled Bicycle Secret Weapon. The media even started to report how bombers could clear an area of Viet Cong just by flying over and dumping out playing cards instead of bombs. So even though this legend of the Vietnamese being superstitious about the Ace of Spades wasn't true to begin with, it became true Mm. because northern Vietnamese fighters would find the card inside the mouths of their dead comrades. Mm. The implication was that the last thing the soldier saw before he died was the Ace of Spades. So the calling cards were one form of psychological warfare that the American troops used against the Viet Cong. But we also talked about this idea of wandering spirits being super prevalent in Vietnamese culture. Now, Natalia, do you have any idea how the American troops could have used this cultural belief to their advantage in the Vietnam War? So they don't want to turn into a ghost. So they don't want to be one of these wandering spirits stuck in the jungle, far away from home, their body never recovered, right? Yeah, they don't want to turn into a ghost. So when someone dies far away from home and can't have their burial rites performed, their soul can turn into a, quote, wandering spirit. As part of their psychological warfare program during the Vietnam War, the United States took advantage of this belief. The United States used tapes of distorted human sounds and played them during the night, making the Vietnamese soldiers think that the dead were back for revenge. This was called Operation Wandering Soul. I found this website called PsyWarrior.com, PSYWarrior.com, and it talks about Operation Wandering Soul in pretty great detail. So I'm going to read some portions of this article from this website to you. One of the more interesting superstitions of Vietnam is the belief in the wandering soul. It is the Vietnamese belief that the dead must be buried in their homeland or their soul will wander aimlessly in pain and suffering. The Vietnamese feel that if a person is improperly buried, then their soul wanders constantly. They can sometimes be contacted on the anniversary of their death and near where they died. Vietnamese honor these dead souls on a holiday when they return to the site where they passed away. Tradition has it that the young Vietnamese boy, Kien Muc Lin, reached enlightenment at an early age. His mother was not so lucky. She was evil, and upon her death, she was sentenced to spend eternity being tormented by demons and ghosts and in constant pain from hunger. Kien Muc Lin magically sent food to his mother. The demons were enraged and turned it into flames before she could eat. The son then asked Buddha to help him care for his mother. Buddha told him to hold a special ceremony. The boy held the ceremony called Vu Lan, Wandering Soul, to pray for his mother's soul and ask that her sins be pardoned. His wishes were granted. Vu Lan Day is absolution of the soul. This is especially true in the case of parents. It allows their wandering soul to return home safely. 
The Vietnamese celebrate this holiday with many ceremonies, including the floating of lights down the rivers at night to guide the lost souls to Nirvana. It is held on the 15th day of the 7th lunar month every year at the Hoi An Pagodas. The holiday is so popular that many tourists visit Vietnam during this time of year to see the ceremonies. They set aside a day for the wandering souls and offer food for deceased relatives whom they believe might wander into the homes of their offspring. Anne Crawford says in her book, Customs and Culture of Vietnam, that Wandering Souls Day is the second largest festival of the year. Though it falls on the 15th day of the seventh month, it may be celebrated at any convenient time during the latter half of the month. It's not just a Buddhist holiday, but also celebrated by all Vietnamese who believe in the existence of God good and evil. They believe that sinful souls can be absolved of their punishment and delivered from hell through prayers said by the living on the first and fifteenth of every month. Wandering Souls Day, however, is believed to be the best time for priests and relatives to secure general amnesty for all souls. On this day, the gates of hell are said to open at sunset, and the souls fly out unclothed and hungry. Thus, plenty of food is left at family altars. The United States Military Assistance Command Vietnam issued a Fact Sheet 7 entitled Vietnamese Beliefs in Spirits and Trees, dated December 1, 1969. It seems very similar to the Crawford writings above. It says about Wandering Souls Day, The festival is celebrated throughout the country, in Buddhist pagodas, homes, businesses, factories, government offices, and armed forces units. Many Vietnamese believe that every person has two souls. One is spiritual and the other material. When a person dies, his soul is taken to a tribunal in hell and judged by ten justices. When punishment is rendered, the soul is sent to heaven or hell as a reward or punishment for the person's conduct on earth. On Wandering Souls Day, the gates of hell are opened and the errant spirits return to earth where they wander aimlessly in the hopes of finding a cult being offered to them. They cause misfortune if they remain unsatisfied. So the object of Wandering Souls Day is to provide ritual offerings for the errant spirits to propitiate them and grant them rest and death. To appease the errant spirits, a family heaps offerings on the altar dedicated to the spirit of the soil, which stands before the house. The head of the household begs the permission of the spirit to make ritual offerings to the errant spirits. A mat is then placed upon the ground and offerings of rice, fruit, and rice alcohol are put on it. The errant spirits are summoned to partake of the offerings by striking a gong or two pieces of wood. Members of the family hold burning joss as the kowtow, after which they burn votive papers on the altar. This ritual is performed outside of the house because of the fear that, given the opportunity to enter, the errant spirits might install themselves on the altar of the ancestors. The day is so important to the Vietnamese that American propagandists often mention it in their leaflets and radio broadcasts. For instance, Leaflet 23 dropped over North Vietnam says in part, Faithful to the ancestral traditions, the people of South Vietnam are praying for the dead on the day or pardon for the dead. As we sadly turn our thoughts toward the withering north, no sticks were burned on Vulan Day and no comfort was given to the wandering souls. How many wandering souls need our prayers and your prayers on this day of pardon for the dead? Comrades, demand that the Communist Party stop its war of aggression in the south so that no more innocent souls have to join the already great number of innocent souls now wandering in this war-torn country of the south. This belief in the wandering soul is a strong one, and even today we find news stories about it. The following was written by Mark McDonald and was published by the Mercury News Vietnam Bureau under the title of Remains of the War in the Year 2000. The death certificate has been typed onto thin brown paper with thick carbon paper keystrokes. The document is creased and smudged from three decades of folding and weeping, but this much remains clear. Le Dui Hien, age 26, was killed on May 5, 1968. 
Hien is one of some 300,000 North Vietnamese and Viet Cong soldiers still missing in action from what is known here as the American War. In marked contrast to the U.S. effort, the search for Vietnamese MIAs has largely been left to the families of the missing. Even now, 25 years after the end of war, their relatives can be seen all over Vietnam, mostly on weekends, trudging forlornly through the sprawling military cemeteries reserved for the martyred. They go from headstone to headstone, pausing briefly at each one, looking for the name of a lost son, a dead husband, a missing brother. Strangers have buried you in careless haste, no loved ones near, no friends, no proper rites. And under the wan moon, no kindly smoke of incense wreaths for you, the Vietnamese poet Nguyen Du wrote in his elegy, A Call to Wandering Souls. To reach out to Le Duy Hin's wandering soul, the family holds a somber memorial ceremony every May 5th, the date on his official death certificate. However, the family has been unable to follow the Vietnamese custom of digging up his bones after three years for cleaning and reburial, and it causes Hien's mother no small amount of grief that her son's soul is still at large. She believes Hien is not at rest, says Li Te Luan, Hien's younger brother, who is now 54. Like all Vietnamese families, she wants to have us find his remains so that he can be stable and at peace. The biggest problem for Hien's family is right there on his faded death certificate, on the dotted line that states where the young North Vietnamese sergeant went down, it only says, on a battlefield in the South. Sadly, Hien's family has no clue to his possible whereabouts. They know he headed off down the Ho Chi Minh Trail after being drafted, but he wrote the family just one letter, a letter that gave no details about his unit, its location, or ultimate destination. Therefore, Le Dui Hien's body remains undiscovered, and his soul remains at large. His mother receives a small monthly payment from the government because, under Vietnamese law, all MIAs from the American War are now considered dead. The money, however, barely covers the cost of the incense she burns for him every day. A Vietnamese told me a story that really makes clear the respect that the Vietnamese have for the dead. He said, Near my office, there was a restaurant where I normally had my lunch. I noticed that there were three small tombs in the garden without the names of the dead, but carefully taken care of with fresh flowers. I asked the owner who they were. She said that they were three young NVA soldiers who died while retreating during the Tet Offensive. One morning, she opened her door and saw the three dead soldiers. When she complained that the bodies could cause disease for people, an ARVN officer told her to temporarily bury the dead soldiers in her garden. He said later, after everything is quiet, we will send someone to take care of the bodies. The woman buried the three men in her garden. She said one night she dreamed that three young boys visited her and said thank you. They were in civilian clothes but had northern accents, so she guessed they were the dead soldiers. She said that somehow after she buried the three soldiers, her business prospered despite the war. She strongly believed that it was the spirits of dead soldiers helping her. In 1975, some officials of the new communist regime came and asked her to let them remove the remains to a military cemetery, but she refused and said that there were no dead soldiers in the garden, only three relatives that died during the war. Without evidence of the dead soldiers, the local authorities gave up. She said since their parents never knew where and how their children died, she considered the three soldiers as her sons. W uh, wait, wait, she adopted these ghosts? Kind of. So she was operating a business during the Vietnam War and one day she opened the door to her house because a lot of people like live at their place of work. Mm -hmm. And so she opened the door to her house and just sees three bodies laying on the ground of dead soldiers. So she contacts the authorities and she's like, hey, this is going to like you can't just let these bodies rot here. Like this is going to cause disease for the people that are still living. Mm -hmm. And they were like, hey, we're like super stretched thin right now. So can you just bury them in your garden? And then when things have calmed 
down, we'll come back and we'll take the bodies away. That's a kind of a big ask. Uh, yeah. Can you bury three bodies in your garden? Yes, like three dead rotting bodies in your garden. I don't know. Like to me, that's traumatizing. Yeah. I mean, just to bury anything is a lot of fucking work. And then you add that it's three things and then you add that they're human bodies and then you add that they were left on your doorstep and then you add that your government is telling you to do it and then you add that they're going to dig them up later. Like, but she, <laughs> it's but horrific, she really, yeah, right? she doesn't have a choice. Right. So she buries them and then she has a dream that they come, that the, the those spirits come back and thank her because she gave them proper funerary rights. Mm. And then years later, finally, the government gets around to coming back and saying, hey, um, we have a record of like, we asked you to bury these bodies and we're going to mm-hmm. like take them back now. And she doesn't want to because she feels like my business has prospered because of these three bodies or like are these three spirits are looking over me and so she feels like she adopted these spirits as her own sons and so she wants to keep Mm. them in her garden Mm. the concept of wandering souls can also be found in vietnamese modern literature one of the most popular books in post-war vietnam was written by bao nin a former northern vietnamese soldier the sorrow of war was published by the writers association publishing house in hanoi in 1991. the author tells of an area called the jungle of screaming souls where the north vietnamese 27th battalion was wiped out except for 10 survivors by american and south vietnamese troops he said from then on it was called the jungle of screaming souls just hearing the name whispered was enough to send chills down the spine Perhaps the screaming souls gathered together on special festival days, such as members of the Lost Battalion, lining up in the little diamond-shaped clearing, checking their ranks and numbers. The sobbing whispers were heard deep in the jungle at night. The howls carried on the wind. Perhaps they really were the voices of the wandering souls of dead soldiers. During the American involvement in Vietnam, an attempt was made to use this belief against the North Vietnamese and Viet Cong. Since it was clear that they would die far from home, their bodies probably never found or never properly buried, it was certain that they would become a wandering soul after death. The operation was codenamed Operation Wandering Soul. Engineers spent weeks recording eerie sounds. They were similar to the sounds employed through a scary radio show or movie, very creepy and designed to send shivers down the back. These cries and wails were intended to represent souls of the enemy dead who had failed to find the piece of proper burial. The wailing soul cannot be put to rest until this proper burial takes place. The purpose of these sounds was to panic and disrupt the enemy and cause him to flee his position. Helicopters were used to broadcast Vietnamese voices pretending to be from beyond the grave. They called on their descendants in the Viet Cong to defect, to cease fighting. The campaign played the sounds and messages all night in order to spook the superstitious enemy. Despite eventually realizing that they were hearing a recording beamed from a helicopter, the enemy gunners could not help but fear that their soul would someday end up moaning and wailing in a similar fashion after death. I mean, yeah, I mean, even if... So if someone is, like, whispering in my ear you're gonna die at this war and no one's gonna find you and then you're gonna be a ghost and you're gonna be screaming even if I found out that that wasn't a ghost that was telling me it doesn't it's it's still reminding these people of their core beliefs like that's a very real possibility that they could die far away from home and have no one I mean that's probably what's gonna happen for most of them you know so it doesn't really matter whether they found out that it was it was just propaganda or not because that's like someone telling me hey one day you're gonna be 45 years old like it's real (laughs) it's gonna happen right yeah well and also (laughs) i i kind of think 
that even the most hardcore atheist, I feel like if you were put into a situation like war and someone's repeatedly whispering in your ear, when you die, you're going to burn in hell because you're murdering people. You know, like if that's whispered enough to you, I feel like I don't care how hardcore atheist you are. You're going to like start to believe it, right? Yeah. I mean, I can go to a scary movie and know that it's all fake and still get just as scared watching it. Totally. It's, you know, it's your animal brain. Exactly. Both the 6th PSYOP Battalion of the United States Army and some units of the United States Navy broadcasted these messages. In general, the messages were as follows. Girl's voice. Daddy, daddy, come home with me. Come home. Daddy, daddy. Man's voice. Ha, who is that? Who is calling me? Oh, my daughter? My wife? Daddy is back home with you, my daughter. I am back home with you, my wife. But my body is gone. I am dead. My family. I. Tragic. How tragic. My friends. I come back to let you know that I am dead. I am dead. It's hell. Hell. It's a senseless death. How senseless. Senseless. But when I realized the truth, it was too late. Too late. Friends, while you are still alive, there is still a chance you will be reunited with your loved ones. Do you hear what I say? Go home. Go home, my friends. Hurry, hurry. If not, you will end up like me. Go home, my friends, before it is too late. Go home. Go home, my friends. The tape was mentioned in Stars and Stripes of 28th April 1968 in an article entitled Spooky Voice Fills Viet Cong with Shivers of Fear. Correspondent Bob Cutts described a wandering soul operation. It was midnight, and the Green Berets knew they could expect the attack from the vicinity of the nearby Cambodian border any minute now. There was no sky, so there would be no air support, just the unending rain. But somewhere up there was a drone of engines, a plane circling in at night. Then it began, a long, unearthly wailing, coming out of the sky, filling Kai Kai and the soggy marsh around it with a gigantic voice. In the articles, First Lieutenant Jerry Valentine of the 5th Air Commando Squadron flying an AC-47 Goonie Bird says in part, The tapes are best. We've got one we call the Wandering Soul Tape. It lasts about four minutes. It starts with Buddhist funeral music, then this spooky wailing voice, then a little child crying. The child is crying for its father. Then a Vietnamese woman comes on and tells how her husband was killed fighting for the Viet Cong. And all the time, this eerie background voice wailing about death. It's a real beauty, guaranteed to raise ground fire anywhere. It even sends chills down my spine. It's so effective that even the government restricts use of it. They only let us use it on extreme occasions. Vietnam veteran Chad Spar, a former PSYOP team leader in the 6th PSYOP Battalion in Vietnam from 1968 to 1969, told me about his experience playing the tape. There was a tape that we used. It was an audio tape called Wandering Soul that played on some of the cultural aspects of the Vietnamese. One of the important tenets of Buddhism is that when a person dies within a very short period of time, they have to be buried in consecrated soil on a family plot. Very haunting, very eerie. It was done with voice and echo chamber. It was very effective. I'd go out on a night ambush patrol with an American infantry unit with the 1st Cavalry and set up a small speaker in a tree and direct that toward an area where we suspected enemy troops were, and I'd play that tape for a couple of hours. 
There were a couple of occasions when I did that, where we'd get a prisoner later, and the interrogation would indicate that they'd heard the tape and they were frightened by it, so I know that it had an effect. One evening, after a full day in the villages, my interpreter and I left the compound about 0100 and moved to a small grove of palm trees about 300 meters north of the compound. My interpreter climbed a tree and hung a speaker from a large palm frond, with the speaker pointed into the general area north of the compound toward the villages. We connected the speaker to a small amplifier and tape player and began playing Wandering Soul. At first, there was no reaction to the broadcast, but then we began taking some random sniper fire from one of the villages. We finished the broadcast, and the interpreter did his own improvisation of the tape, this time speaking to the people as if he was a wandering soul. He pretty much made it up as he went, and after a few minutes, we again began to receive random sniper fire. This broadcast lasted about 15 minutes after the tape had finished, after which we retrieved the speaker and returned to the MACV compound. We repeated this nightly broadcast for the next three or four nights, but we varied the location of the broadcast in case the local Viet Cong had staked out our previous broadcast locations. We also varied the broadcast volume so it would sound closer on one night but further away the next night. Aiming the speaker had a similar effect. We did, however, receive random incoming but inaccurate fire as a result of most of the broadcasts. Since it was only my interpreter and I, we could move quickly and quietly, more so than if we took along a squad of the local troops who weren't very noise disciplined. On either the fourth or fifth morning at first light, we left with a small patrol to enter the village where the sniper fire had originated. We found several shell casings from an AK-47 or SKS rifle probably hidden in some ground litter, but nobody knew who fired it or where the rifle was hidden. My interpreter then told a few people that the lost spirits were sure to return if the shooter and or the weapon were not surrendered to our patrol. We continued searching the few houses in the village, and as we were preparing to leave, an elderly lady told my interpreter where to find the rifle. It was hidden under a small trough in a pigsty. We dug out a very nice Chinese communist SKS with bayonet, a few rounds still in the internal magazine, with a rare sling attached. My interpreter then told her that the spirits might return, but that they would be of no danger to her or her family members. Interestingly, as we packed up to leave, the local Vietnamese district chief came to see us off and told us he was glad we were leaving. When I asked him why, he replied that the Wandering Soul broadcast not only unnerved his own men, but left his wife and children very upset, even though he explained that it was just a tape designed to discourage Viet Cong morale and perhaps enhance decisions to defect or stop fighting. They could not reconcile the concept of the broadcast voices and taped recording. They couldn't understand the technical side, and being very superstitious to begin with, they believed the message of the tape. So these tapes sound pretty fucking terrifying, obviously, but I haven't played one for you yet. And I already read to you the translation in English, but I want to play for you the full Wandering Souls tape called Tape Number 10 in full for you. It's in Vietnamese. It is very, very spooky. So let's listen to that. And then I want to hear what you think about it, Natalia.
Okay, so that was ghost tape number 10, Natalia. What did you think of that? Fuck, like, yeah, I think that that would definitely send me over the edge. I mean, that's just like, first of all, it sounds fucking annoying. And then you add on the fact that it's saying haunted stuff. Like, I would be annoyed if someone was playing fucking Drake while I'm trying to sleep after being at war for six weeks. And now and now if you told me that it was like drake saying hey if you don't go home right now like you're gonna be hurting children and i'm sad and like you're gonna be in your feelings for the rest of your life and the afterlife then i would be even more freaked out right yeah so it's like you're already tired you're hungry you've been up for days and you're away from your family that's already going to be super hard mentally and then now you're hearing this propaganda that plays on your cultural beliefs and superstition and it's just like not stopping and you can't tell where it's coming from super scary okay Okay, now I'm going to read you a couple more ghost stories from the Vietnam War. These are from first-person perspective. So I have three ghost stories from yourghoststories.com, which is the website I used at the beginning of the story. So let's start with the first story. This story is called Haunted House in Vietnam by Alexa54. Back in the early 1960s, my father, who was a Philippine Air Force officer, was posted in Saigon as a military attaché, so we lived in the then South Vietnam for three to four years during the early part of the Vietnam War. For reasons unknown to me, we moved houses three times. The second house we lived in was huge and very old, more like a mini-mansion, French architecture? Question mark. 
we actually rented just the bottom part of the house, whilst the owner, an ethnic Chinese Vietnamese widow, and her two daughters lived upstairs. I remember my sister and I used to go upstairs for tutoring by one of her daughters about basic French as we attended a French school called Colette, and later on another school called Jardin de Enfants, which is on the same street as the Philippine Embassy. We also attended American school on our last year in Vietnam. The house was situated beside a cemetery, and what to me seemed so odd even at the time was there was a gate near the back part of the yard which opens to the cemetery. The layout of the house looked strange too. There was a huge lounge room big enough for a dance floor space, and a short hallway to my parents' bedroom and bathroom, and then there's this large dining slash entertaining area in between which separated our parents' bedroom and our bedrooms and kitchen. My brother had his own bedroom, and us three sisters, at the time we were seven, eight, and ten years old, slept in one king-size bed together. Our bedroom didn't have a door, but my brother's room had one, and we could see his door from our bedroom. From what I recall, I was seven years old at the time. I was awoken by our bedroom window shuddering as it was a stormy night and the wind was howling through the Louvre window. It was quite spooky and I couldn't go back to sleep. Somehow, I felt that something strange was going to happen. Suddenly, I saw a headless figure in what appeared to be a long black coat floating from our bedroom to my brother's room and as it disappeared, I saw a part of a skeleton appear which looked luminous peering through the crack of the door hinge of my brother's bedroom door. His bedroom door was always left slightly ajar. I felt paralyzed whilst I was witnessing the apparitions. I tried to wake up my sisters to tell them what I'd just seen, but they were too tired and didn't seem interested. I couldn't go back to sleep as I was too scared that the ghosts might come near me. The following morning, I told the family what I'd seen during the night, and to my relief, they all believed me. My sisters also said that they were aware that I was trying to wake them, and they were aware that I had told them what I'd seen, but they were too scared so they pretended to be asleep. From then on, I always believed in ghosts and spirits. So now let's read the second story. This story is called Wake Up, They Are Waiting by Not Just Me. I don't know. What do you mean wake up their way? I don't like that. This encounter belongs to my step-aunt and happened in Vietnam, Ho Chi Minh City, about 10 years ago. It may be a bit long, so please bear with me. My stepmother comes from a family of teachers. Literally all her siblings that worked were teachers at some point when they resided in Vietnam, somewhere along the 70s. My stepmother herself was a principal at age 24, but this happened to her eldest sister. My step-aunt owned a huge house in the 5th district. The house had five floors with two bedrooms and a bathroom on each floor. The reason for this setup is because during the day, this house was a private school for children aged 3 through 6. I loved vacationing here because every day I get to see the kids come to school and they are just so adorable. The first floor of the house was for the 3-year-olds. Nap room was in between floors 1 and 2. Second floor was my aunt's floor for her and her husband. Then the third floor was for the four-year-olds, and as you ascend, the ages get higher. This was my aunt's whole life of work, and she was very devoted to her teachers and students. During the day, the house was lit up by noise and laughter of children and workers shouting back and forth, but at night it was terrifying just to look up the winding stairwell. It was the sweetest thing to wake up to, seeing these little kids holding the stairway rails and saying, hello teacher, good morning teacher and principal. The day starts off with breakfast, then Cantonese and Mandarin lessons, then nap time, then lunch, then Vietnamese lessons. Then parents come at 4 p.m. to collect their babies. This operation ran from Monday to Friday. 
On one particular day, my aunt was taking a nap, and she felt someone nudge her arm and gently said, wake up, wake up to teach. She ignored it and kept sleeping, then it happened again, and said, wake up, you're late to teach. Now she was angry as she knew it was Saturday, so she went half downstairs and asked her cook and maid why they were waking her up when it was Saturday. Of course, they said they knew it was Saturday and that neither of them were trying to wake her. A few days after that, my aunt woke up in the middle of the night to a woman sitting at the foot of her bed. She could only see the woman's back, and she said that she was talking to her but couldn't hear her clearly. My aunt couldn't make out what the woman was saying. Since she was very afraid of the paranormal, she just closed her eyes, terrified, and eventually drifted back to sleep. She also said another time the woman came back with two kids by her side, and they were all just standing at the foot of her bed watching her sleep. This story scared me as I slept in that room too. I never saw her, but I did hear my name being called twice in the house, but chose to ignore it and hoping it was just my imagination. My aunt and her husband have all passed now and the house has been sold. I have a feeling that the lady spirit is now talking to my aunt together in their world and now my aunt can actually talk back. Yeah, fucking haunted. So which of those two ghost stories creeped you out more? The, for me, the one that creeped me out more was like the Grim Reaper ghost that's floating through the kid's room and then she can see the skeleton peeking from around her brother's door. I don't like that at all, obviously, especially not the way you just said it. But <laughs> I really didn't like the teacher one just because the girl that's telling the story says that she had heard about the story from her aunt or whatever. And then after her aunt passed, she's like, and then I thought it happened to me too. Yeah. And she's like, I think that my aunt is talking to that woman now in the afterlife. Oh, fuck. I know. Creepy. God, dude. What? Why the fuck is, I think, why is it like this? <laughs> why, why is the world like this? You know, there's so many things that we don't understand and half of it scares the shit out of me. Maybe the Vietnamese are onto something. Maybe these spirits that we can see, the only or the only kind of spirits we can see are the kinds that are restless. And that's why it's so scary anytime you see a ghost. Right, because it's not like the ancestor. Right, exactly. Okay, so now I want to talk to you about some other kind of ghostly urban legends from Vietnam. So this article comes from Saigonier.com and it's called President's Building, Location Saigon. Some of you may have seen this forlorn but creepy-looking abandoned building located at 727 Tran Hung Dao in District 5. Commissioned by millionaire Win Tan Doi, it was once known as President Building and was built in 1960, divided into six blocks with 13 floors each. At one point during the American War, it housed hundreds of U.S. soldiers. The 530-room building was a pretty big deal during its time, but as most people know, 13 isn't a very lucky number. This was brought up by the building's French architect, who warned Doi about the inauspicious number. Doi didn't listen, and it was only until the 13th floor was completed when deadly accidents started to happen. One such case was of a worker who fell down the supporting columns to his death. This started to frighten the workers, so to boost their morale, Doi enlisted the help of a shaman to figure out what was going on and in one of the most extreme examples of getting something done one way or another, they secretly brought the corpses of four virgins from a hospital to be buried at the four corners of the building for good feng shui and to protect it from any negative energy. This seemed to work. The building was finished with no further incidents, and Doi was delighted when the U.S. Army chose to rent the entire building to house its soldiers. But as time passed, the building's glory started to fade, 
and after reunification, local families started moving into the building. And that's when the strange things began to happen. Residents have reported experiencing unexplainable incidents such as odd whispers, sudden screams, and even the sound of a military parade. One of the most common sightings was of an American soldier walking hand-in-hand hand with a young Vietnamese woman down the halls. There's also a story from the coffee vendor at the entrance of the apartment. She claims that every night amongst her earnings, while carefully inspecting the money given to her by her customers, she sometimes finds a piece of Joss paper, something locals usually burn as offerings to the dead. Initially, she figured it may have been a prank by a really determined kid, but she started to notice that this only happened on full moon days, when a particular young woman would buy orange juice from her. The vendor decided to try and find out who this young woman was, only to learn that years earlier, the young woman committed suicide after being sexually assaulted on a full moon night. <gasps> so, Natalia, what do you think of that story? That's so scary. I, I just can't with this story anymore. So now I want to talk to you about tunnel rats. Natalia, do you have a guess about what tunnel rats are? I don't know. This is like, I'm like really trying to, I'm really reaching here because I, I feel like I it's just a rat that lives in a tunnel, right? So your guess for a tunnel rat is a rat that lives in a tunnel? Yeah. Okay. So tunnel rats were American, Australian, and New Zealand soldiers who performed dangerous search and destroy missions during the Vietnam War. At the height of the Vietnam conflict, a complex system of secret underground tunnels sprawled from Khu Chi province to the edge of Saigon. In these burrows, the Viet Cong cached their weapons, tended their wounded, and prepared to strike. They had only one enemy, Western soldiers small and wiry enough to maneuver through the guerrilla's narrow domain. The soldiers who descended into these hellholes were known as tunnel rats. Armed with only pistols and K-bar knives, these men inched their way through the steamy darkness where any number of horrors could be awaiting them. Bullets, booby traps, a tossed grenade. Thousands of soldiers lost their lives trying to clear out tunnels in terrain they weren't familiar with. Many died from bullets and shrapnel, many others from biological traps such as pit vipers and scorpions. Decades later, some believe that the ghosts of many of these soldiers haunt the tunnels and the soil itself to this day. People that have explored the tunnels of Vietnam have made claim of seeing moving figures in the tunnels. Could these moving figures be ghostly tunnel rats? Okay, worst fucking job award. Like, they had to draw straws for that shit, and someone really fucking lucked out not having to do that. That sounds so scary. That's combining claustrophobia, fear of the dark, fear of uh, getting murdered by somebody, plus you have to murder somebody. I mean, that is, I don't like that. It's horrible, right? It's horrific. So these tunnels, I'm, I'm, have you ever heard of these tunnel systems? Have you ever heard of the Ku Chi tunnels? Wait, yeah, because in Vietnam, you can go tour them. I Correct. Think. Okay, yeah. awesome. Did you go tour one when you were in Vietnam? No, I had, like, I saw photos of that and I was like, absolutely not. I'm not fucking <laughs> I'm going to show you a video of this tunnel system. And like you said, um, people can actually go into this tunnel system and tour it. Would you ever tour this tunnel system? I want you to look at this video. Okay, let me look at it. Whoa. This is like a colonoscopy for a city right now that I'm looking at. Yeah, it's horrifying, right? Like this is, I am not even claustrophobic and I would never go into these. Yeah. Oh my lord. Absolutely. No. I can't believe there were grown ass people 
crawling through this stuff. And what we're looking at right now, this video, they actually widened this tunnel three times what it actually was during wartime. What? So that was three times smaller? Yes. I hate that. I absolutely hate that. You know what that reminds me of? What? Nothing, because I have never had to do anything like that. And I would not disservice the people who died at, in Vietnam in these tunnels by either, you know, getting killed or suffocation or whatever it was. I mean, I'm sure people were sick going through there. I, it just, I can see the haunting from here. Right. Okay. So now we're going to talk about tree ghosts. Vietnam has a sad and bloody history, and there are said to be many wandering spirits, especially in the country, that need to find a place to continue their existence. Legend has it that many of these spirits bonded with trees. Many people who visit the forests and jungles of Vietnam describe feeling like they're being watched from every direction. Cutting down a tree in these areas is bad luck, and many people are cursed as a result of chopping down a tree before performing a ceremony to ask the ghost to leave it first. According to Paul Dale Roberts on unexplainedmysteries.com, former Lieutenant Howard Pierce recently went to Vietnam on vacation. He decided to stop off in the jungles of Bac Ma. He claims he saw two pale apparitions staring at him from one of the trees. As he approached the tree, the apparitions vanished in front of his very eyes. Additionally, Three tourists claim that in the Phuoc Thuy province, they encountered a phantom soldier that was wearing a hat that was flipped over on one side. He appeared to be bleeding from the side of his neck and holding his neck as if he were trying to stop the bleeding. They could hear the soldier say in an Australian accent, I need help. Where am I? Before their very eyes, they watched the soldier walk down the hill and disappear, fading into a thick tree fuck that so then there's also this government conspiracy theory about these um tree ghosts do you know what agent orange is no agent orange was basically a pesticide that was um sprayed over vietnam during the war and it caused all of these horrible birth defects that the u.s government is still paying out victims in vietnam for today so it caused like cleft palate and all of these deformities and fetuses and some people think this is a conspiracy theory that the reason why the government used this horrible chemical is because the U.S. military saw these tree ghosts and interpreted them as zombies because they would shoot at them and nothing would happen. So they thought that these spirits were zombies and that the only way to kill them was with Agent Orange because it destroyed everything in its path. Do you believe in this conspiracy theory? Do you, th or I guess, better question, let's just go in believing that tree ghosts are real, right? Yeah, obviously. Tre I heard trees. That's real. I heard ghosts. That's real. Where, like, where is there any room for one of something to not be real? So, if you were like a 1960s military dude in the middle of yeah. the forest and you see this fucking tree ghost and you're shooting at it and it won't die, it's kind mm -hmm. of like, okay, maybe, like, do you believe that they could have interpreted them as zombies? Yes, absolutely. Okay, next story. Now, I have a story involving a haunting that occurred in one of these jungles of Vietnam. This happened in the location of Cao Bang, and the story is called The Black Sphere. This story takes place between August 12th and 13th of 1968, and was an account compiled by Solomon Naffert titled Black Sphere in the Jungle of Vietnam, published on May 17th, 2004. During the war, a group of Soviet engineers working on a hydroelectric power plant suddenly heard a rumble of engines overhead. 
Thinking it was American B-52 bombers, they all ran out of their tents but were surprised to see a black, angular, diamond-shaped object emitting a greenish-blue light instead. Moments later, a fiery comet-shaped object emerged out of nowhere and struck the floating object, resulting in a bright flash that temporarily blinded everyone in the group and sent out a powerful shockwave. The force of the shockwave knocked the Russian hydrologists down and tore their tents apart, sweeping their equipment away. Fortunately, nobody was hurt, although there were concerns that the explosion might have been radioactive. Over the next few hours, none of their communication systems worked and instead only produced severe static. It was only in the next morning when it was finally possible to establish contact with their central base where the men reported the incident. The scientists and their team promised a full report of the event and visited the nearest village where, strangely, there was no sign of destruction or evidence of an explosion. The inhabitants only reported hearing a very loud thunderstorm the night before. It took two days before the scientists finally found, about one kilometer away from their base camp, a black half-sphere-shaped object about three meters in diameter. It was completely black with a non-reflective surface and didn't cast a shadow as the rays of the sun seemed to go around the object instead, falling on the grass around it. By touch, the object seemed cool and slippery, like it was doused in soapy water. One of the men tried to scratch the surface of the sphere with a sharp knife, but it had no effect. The central base gave the men instructions to set up a protective perimeter around the object and guard it until a, quote, special group arrived at the site. They were also strictly warned not to approach within 20 meters of the sphere. So the men built the perimeter and camped right outside it, still wondering what this object was and where it came from. One of the specialists, Boris Ivanov, wrote in his diary that the men rested while staring with unease at the object in the light of their bonfire. They had their carbines ready just in case as they waited for the special forces to show up. Soon, one of the men, Vyacheslav G, suddenly rose and walked towards the woods behind the object without much fuss. The rest barely noticed him and thought that he had probably just gone to answer nature's call. After five minutes, he still hadn't returned and the men were starting to worry. They called out his name, but there was no sign of him. They started to search for him with their flashlights, but he was nowhere to be found. Concerned and afraid, the rest of the men retreated to their bonfire, though it's not clear why they didn't radio for help. About an hour later, another man, Peter K., silently rose and walked in exactly the same direction that Vyacheslav had taken. He seemed to move uncomfortably, in almost a drunken stagger, and a sense of anxiety started to pour over the men. However, they just could not seem to intervene. He, too, never returned. One by one, each man started walking away towards the sphere and never returned. Now it was just Sergei T. and Boris left, both of them huddled together in fear, and suddenly Sergei's face started to appear distorted. He rose and wandered away into the dark and disappeared, leaving Boris alone. Moments later, Boris found himself able to move again and, in his terrified state, grabbed his carbine and shot himself in the leg to purposefully disable himself. Now, he reasoned, he wouldn't be able to walk to an uncertain fate. He passed out from the pain. That action may have just saved his life because he woke up the next morning having lost a lot of blood but still alive. The specialists had already arrived and found him semi-conscious beside the already extinguished bonfire and evacuated him. The sphere and his comrades were no longer there, and Boris could only convince himself that the mysterious object was an extraterrestrial probe that had taken his friends away to an unknown place. So, Natalia, not only are these forests 
possibly haunted with wandering souls of dead soldiers from all different countries, all walks of life. Not only are these forests haunted by haunted trees that have bonded with some of these wandering souls, but these jungles are also possibly home to aliens that were exploring and observing Earth and abducting people during the Vietnam War. What do you think of that? Is the Vietnam War not the most haunted war, possibly? Question mark? I don't know. What do you think? First of all, I just want to say I leave it to you to tell me the real history of the Vietnam War. There was an alien abduction during the Vietnam War where a man lost between four to seven of his comrades. I can't remember exactly. I'm I'm in shock right now, Alyssa. I'm in shock. He had to shoot himself in the leg to avoid this. I agree. <sighs> so wait, hold on. Are the aliens on, are the aliens, they're just a third party? Like they saw a bunch of shit going down on earth and they're like, well, let's go fucking see what's going on down there. Or are they like working for the Viet Cong? Are they working for the Americans? Are they Russian? Like, oh, there's so many different nationalities and so many different species with so many different motives tied up in this clusterfuck of a situation here. I know it's hard to make sense of it, right? There's so much going on. I don't know. Maybe the aliens saw that there was this crazy fucked up war happening. And so they were like, we got to go check it out. And then they accidentally abducted people that had nothing to do with the war. I don't know. Well, if we believe that the aliens and the ghosts and supernatural beings are like all kind of operating on this plane that we can't see. And we know that ghosts or like demons or bad things feed off of this like very high vibration of energy that is like hate, right? And like the only way to make them go away is like to negate that energy with just like the spirit of love. So, the, you know, what generates more hate and fear and uh, just desperation than fighting for your life against another another you know your brothers basically like we're all humans so maybe the aliens or the ghosts or whatever they were that came from this sphere or used the sphere as a portal just fed off of that energy like they just were drawn to it and they put that sphere out there and send everyone into a trance. Yeah, I mean, I think that's as good of a theory as any, right? Because none of this makes sense. It's like the Vietnam War. So then my next question for you is, is the Vietnam War the most haunted war in history? Definitely. I mean, you everyone on this podcast that listens to this podcast knows what my favorite quote is. The quote about, it's the quote that inspired Liam Neeson. It's the quote that inspired Nick Cage. It's, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. And what did that come from a movie about the Vietnam War because it was senseless and it, and you had all of these people there that didn't really know what they were fighting for or why they were doing it but they wanted to be patriots and some of them didn't want to be patriots they were forced into it they were drafted into it and I mean it just sounds like all around we didn't really have ethical I mean we still not to say that war now is ethical but back then it was even you had way more just outright racism that the countries were training their uh, like soldiers to sort of feed off of, you know, like now you wouldn't, we wouldn't have the same level of racism or disrespect or prejudice like taught to our soldiers, at least not out in the open, maybe in private, but like you're not going to go on the front of a newspaper and, you know, have some political cartoon that is just totally racist. You know what I mean? I agree with you. Like yeah. war in and of itself is haunted, right? It's horrible. Like we said at the beginning. Yeah. But then you're adding on top of it. What have we talked about so far? Tree ghosts. Ghosts on bicycles. Um, <laughs> tunnel ghosts. Tunnel rat ghosts. 
um, aliens. So you got all fucking angles being hit with ghosts here. The roads aren't safe. Underneath the ground isn't safe. The jungle's not safe. safe. The jungle's not safe. Then you have these wandering hungry spirits just wandering through towns. Yeah. And you think you're not, you know, you're like, well, the only way to not have fucked up shit happen is to do the funeral rites. But then just doing the funeral rites attracts the fucked up stuff. Right. You're totally right. So what do you do? I don't, maybe. Shoot yourself in the leg. Is that the whole. You shoot shoot yourself in the leg like Boris did until you pass out and get evac'd to a different location that's slightly less haunted. That's the only thing you can do. Right. Yeah. So it's like the reverse wheel of karma. Instead of like going up the wheel or up the ladder to enlightenment, you just go down away f- into less haunted material. Yes. Yeah. I, everything is haunted, right? That's what we've learned on this podcast. So you just need to find an area that's either the good kind of haunted or just right. the least amount of haunted. You want the ghost on your side. Like you do not want to be up against the ghost because they have all kinds of tactics that we just, you know, can't, we can't deal with we don't have the capacity to so natalia we've talked about like i said ghosts aliens other shit um now what have we drunk grandfathers who may who come back to life yes okay what is the last thing that we haven't talked about yet that we always say in our when we're explaining to somebody what our podcast is about what's the last form of a haunting that we haven't talked about yet uh cryptids yes oh my god yes have you ever heard of you're telling me this fucking vietnam war also has cryptids in yes it? okay okay what? have you ever heard of the ba tu tut no but i believe it whatever it is okay it's the vietnamese version of bigfoot so the batutu is a human-like creature that has been rumored and speculated to be in the jungles of Vietnam since 1947. The batutu mythology gained even more popularity during and after the Vietnam War, when hundreds of American GIs claimed to have seen the creature, which they called a, quote, rock ape. The batutu is best described as a miniature Bigfoot. It stands roughly five feet tall, and its muscular body is covered with red hair. The first documented Batutu sighting was reported in 1947 by Dr. John McKinnon in the Vu Quang Nature Reserve. Dr. McKinnon was searching the area for undiscovered wildlife and came across tracks that he likened to those of the Meganthropus hominid. Locals described the creature as rather tall, approximately six feet in height. The Batutu's entire body was covered in hair apart from its hands, feet, and face. The hair coloring varied from gray, brown, to black. These creatures walked on two legs and were observed both on their own and within small groups, often foraging for fruits, leaves, and catching small prey. In his book, Very Crazy G.I. Strange But True Stories of the Vietnam War, Craig P. Jorgensen details an encounter with the creatures by a team of U.S. soldiers, which they called a rock ape. So this book, Very Crazy G.I. Strange But True Stories of the Vietnam War by Craig P. Jorgensen, I actually purchased this book. I bought it on Google Books because we're all in a self-isolation quarantine and we've got time on our hands. So if you guys want to support Craig P. Jorgensen, go on to books.google.com and you can download the ebook version of this. And that's where I got this story from. We're all familiar with stories of Bigfoot and Sasquatch sightings, and even the tales of the Yeti of the snow-covered mountains of Tibet. But now it's time to introduce you to the Vietnamese version of Bigfoot. They were taking a breather. The six-man patrol from the 101st Airborne Division's LRRPs was set up in a protective wagon wheel position, heads facing outward, feet pointing toward the center, as secure a formation as the terrain would allow. And it wasn't allowing much. The -the behind-the-lines patrol had taken them into a remote and difficult stretch of mountainous jungle in the central highlands. 
The terrain was rugged and steep, and at night the LRRPs had to wedge themselves between trees to keep from slipping or sliding downhill. Wiping the sweat from their eyes and leaning against their heavy rucksacks, the tired LRRPs tended to loosen straps or realign equipment as they rested, all the while watching and listening to the jungle around them. On quiet guard, the six soldiers were facing out against the wall of green and brown underbrush, guarding against any Viet Cong who may have tracked them or who might happen upon them by chance. Gary Linderer was thinking that the surrounding jungle was quiet and deceptively peaceful. The forest noises, the occasional rustling of the wind through the trees, the grunts of an animal in the distance, and the sound of birds could easily lull a soldier into a false sense of serenity even though the war was very much around them. However, if anything was out of the ordinary, there was no indication. That is, until the small trees and underbrush just 15 yards uphill began to shake violently. Lenderer's attention and the frenzied focus of the other team members turned to the commotion. On guard, the LRRPs brought up their weapons and waited. Linderer was the closest team member to the hubbub, and his heart was jumping in his chest as he watched and waited for the intruder. While he was ready for a Viet Cong soldier, he wasn't ready for the face that peered through the underbrush. An oblong head framed the hair-covered face. Dark, deep-set eyes lay beneath a prominent brow, and they did nothing to compliment the heavy jowls and angry mouth. As it stepped into a small clearing, Linderer could see that the matted reddish-brown hair ran down the creature's neck and covered most of its body. Whatever it was, it stood at least five feet tall, had broad shoulders, long, thick, muscular arms, and a heavy torso. It walked upright. In the small clearing, it stopped and studied the Americans. What the hell is that? Someone called out from behind Linderer. It's a rock ape, said another team member. Another team member disagreed. No, it ain't. I've seen rock apes, and that sure as hell ain't no rock ape. It's an orangutan, isn't it? Linderer asked, while the others kept their eyes glued on the strange creature. Well, if it is, then he can't read a map. Ain't no orangutans in Vietnam. The ape-like creature soon lost interest in the six LRRPs, turned back the way it had come, and easily climbed back up the steep rise. It's an ape of some kind, one of the soldiers said. It has to be. But then again, maybe it wasn't. In the central highlands region of Vietnam, in the remote province of Kantum, where the country bumps up against Cambodia and Laos, there is mounting evidence of the existence of strange, human-like creatures the locals call the Noi Zion, which means the people of the forest. While the tribal people have believed that the non-human species have inhabited the region for centuries, scientists now say there may be something more to the folktale and legend. Toward the end of the American War in Vietnam, numerous sightings by Viet Cong and NVA soldiers of ape-like creatures walking upright became so overwhelming that the North Vietnamese Party Secretariat ordered scientists into the region to investigate the Noisian while the war was still going on. According to dailymail.co.uk, tribesmen were also said to have captured two of the creatures in the Doc Lok province in 1971. Sightings of rock apes by Viet Cong and NVA troops were also common enough that an NVA general, General Huang Minh Ta, organized an expedition in 1974 to try to capture or at least kill one of these legendary creatures. The expedition was unsuccessful, though, and no hard evidence for the existence of the rock apes was found. There have been reported sightings of the Batutu, sometimes referred to as the Ujit or Setapa, since 1918 in the wilds of Vu Quang Nature Reserve, Vietnam and Malaysia and Borneo. It is described as very hairy, about four or five feet tall with a protruding belly, thick shoulders, and a leathery neck. The female Batutu are said to have long, pendulous breasts. They are bipedal, walking upright with an awkward gait. Village people in Barisan Mountains in Sumatra tell of an encounter with the Batutu. A hairy creature about 50 feet away stood and gravely stared at the people and then nonchalantly walked away. This was in the early 20th century, and Elsie Westenek, a governor of Sumatra, received a written report about an encounter with the wild man. 
the overseer of an estate in the Barisan Mountains, along with some workers, observed the Setapa, or wild man. The overseer said he saw, quote, a large creature, low on its feet, which ran like a man and was about to cross my path. It was very hairy, and it was not an orangutan, but its face was not like an ordinary man's. It silently and gravely gave the men a disagreeable stare and then ran calmly away. There are even reports that the people were able to sit with the Batutsu, offer the creature food, and hear it murmur unintelligible words. In 1918, a hunter, Mr. Van Warden, reportedly saw tracks very similar to that of a barefooted human. He searched the area but failed to find any people in the forest. Several years later, in 1923, he saw similar footprints. He followed the prints and then spotted a wild man in a tree. I discovered a dark and hairy creature on a branch. The setapah was also hairy on the front of its body. The color there was a little lighter than on the back. The very dark hair on its head fell to just below the shoulder blades or even almost to the waist. Had it been standing, its arms would have reached a little above its knees. They were therefore long, but its legs seemed to me rather short. I did not see its feet, but I did see some toes which were shaped in a very normal manner. There was nothing repulsive or ugly about its face, nor was it at all ape-like. After observing it for a while, Van Heerwarden allowed the creature to run away. A 1947 sighting by a French colonist refers to the animal as l'homme sauvage, or wild man. Dr. John McKinnon claimed to have first observed tracks in 1970 that led him to believe that a hominid similar to the Meganthropus lived there. In his 1975 book, In Search of the Red Ape, he describes his experiences and findings. During an expedition to the Malaysian state of Sabah, the British zoologist found several short, broad, human-like footprints. I stopped dead, McKinnon writes in his book. My skin crept, and I felt a strong desire to head home. Further ahead, I saw tracks and went to examine them. I found two dozen footprints in all. McKinnon would later report that he was very happy to leave the scene of these footprints, stating, I was uneasy when I found them, and I didn't want to follow them and find out what was at the end of the trail. I knew that no animal we know could make these tracks. In 1974, as the North Vietnamese Army and the Viet Cong pushed south to overrun the country, Professor Voi Quoi of the Vietnam National University was sent into the region to conduct an investigation. Vo Quoi discovered a Noi Zien footprint in the forest floor and made a cast of the impression, which was analyzed and studied by Vietnamese academics. It was wider than a human footprint and too big for an ape. The unusual find added credence to the folktale. It also set off debate in the scientific arena. Other expeditions were mounted but yielded few results. Chance sightings of the Noisian continued, ranging from small creatures to larger ones. Eyewitnesses had differences of opinion as to the exact color of the creature's body hair. Like those cited earlier, these latest Noisian walked upright and were described as having human characteristics. In 1982, Professor Tran Hung Viet became the second scientist to discover Noisian footprints, and while scientists debated the actual existence of such creatures, many of the critics' arguments went up in smoke when zoologist John McKinnon and a team of scientists discovered three previously unknown mammals in the Vu Quang Mountain rainforest in 1992. The discovery of the new mammals demonstrated that the remote regions might well hold other new discoveries, including clues that might solve the riddle of Vietnam's Bigfoot. To this day, the controversy continues, even as international teams of scientists scour the remote mountain villages looking for what the local villagers say has always been there. So, Natalia, I actually found a clip on YouTube, um, on the Animal Planet YouTube channel, and I guess there was a show on Animal Planet called Finding Bigfoot, and the cast of that show actually went to Vietnam and talked to Professor Viet, who I talked about earlier, and he pulled out the very first cast of a Noisian footprint, and I want to show that to you right now. Yeah, wait, that's a big foot. 
Yes. Okay. This is so, this clearly can't be a human foot, right? It's no, absolutely not. That's a big foot. That's a belongs to a big foot. Yes. Okay. But it looks too human to be like an, a form of ape, right? Right. Yeah. That's exactly what I saw. That's, you know, my mind was turning. I was like thinking about everything I know about apes, thinking about everything I know about mankind and thinking about everything I thought I knew about Bigfoot, but it turns out he's got a Vietnamese cousin. Okay. So if you know anything about me, you know that I think cryptids are kind of hot and it comes from like a weird it's like daddy issues, but instead of daddy issues, it's like about animals. Like I really like animals. So then for like an animal to also be a human and it not be like weird. I mean, it's still kind of weird, but you know what? Let's just not let me just not go into that too much. How about this? Yes, I like cryptids. I love the Mothman, like consensual, like f- husband, father material. You just don't roll over him on the bed because he's going to squish. I also love Bigfoot and I love the Yeti. He's a furry man beast. You know, like every woman I think dreams of just like having a partner who's so, well, you know what? Every woman, and I mean me, I dream of having a partner that's so much hairier than I am that it makes me feel like, oh, maybe I'm not that hairy. (laughs) And then cryptids just really, they really satisfy that fantasy for me. It's because I don't have to change anything, you know? I, they, I'm already, just by being myself, significantly less hairy than them. <laughs> so now I'm going to read to you an article on MysteriousUniverse.org called Bizarre Encounters with the Weird in the Vietnam War by Brent Swancer. This was published on January 31st of 2017, and I'm going to be reading some excerpts about some other creatures besides the rock ape. Yet rock apes are certainly not the only strange creatures to haunt troops during the Vietnam War, and such encounters run the range from the odd to the downright otherworldly. Many accounts are, similarly to the case of the rock apes, of a decidedly cryptozoological nature. One such account was reported in the book Very Crazy G.I. Strange but True Stories of the Vietnam War. One of these accounts concerns what can only be described as some sort of sea serpent. The report comes from a Vietnam veteran by the name of Craig Thompson from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, who served with the Company B, 2nd Battalion of the 503rd Parachute Infantry Regiment, 173rd Airborne Brigade, as a sergeant. Thompson reported one day that he and his platoon had been bathing in the Bong Son River when some startled soldiers pointed out that there was an enormous serpentine creature swimming through the water in an undulating manner in their direction. The creature was described as being around 30 feet in length, two feet wide with a huge square head and covered with golden scales that glistened and glimmered in the sunlight. Along its body was said to be a dorsal plume of some sort that jutted from the water as it swam, and which was a dark reddish color. Considering the bizarre, very large creature was headed straight for them, the panicked men hurriedly exited the water, and some of them went for their weapons in an attempt to fire upon it, but the strange beast sunk beneath the murky water and disappeared before they had a chance. Thompson would spend many years puzzling over this sighting, and would later come to the conclusion that what he had seen was perhaps a giant oarfish that had wandered into the river, with the oarfish being a long, serpentine fish which can grow up to 36 feet in length and is often mistaken for sea serpents. The oarfish also has a dorsal plume of sorts in the form of a dorsal crest, and in some respects seems to match the description given by Thompson. However, the golden coloration in the report is not consistent with an oarfish, and additionally, oarfish are deep-sea fish which are not known to venture into fresh water, and are only very rarely seen near the surface at all. 
cryptozoologist Carl Schuker has expressed doubt that what Thompson had seen is an oarfish, partly because of the dramatic habitat differences in coloration, and also because oarfish are not known to swim at the surface with their crests extended above the water. Schuker has suggested that the creature could have been a species of moray eel, which apparently do occasionally venture up rivers, and of which some species have a coloration that might be described as golden, but also points out that these eels are much smaller than what was described and do not have any sort of high dorsal crest. The mystery of what Thompson and his platoon saw remains. There were also reports during the Vietnam War of spiders far larger than any known in the region. One such report comes from a comment on the website Cryptomundo in 2013, in response to a post by cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman entitled Camel Spiders and Other Alleged Giant Spiders. The commenter, who goes by the name Mr. Maxima, claimed that his father-in-law had been in a five-man scout unit during the war, and that while out in the jungle, they had seen enormous spiders described as having bodies the size of dinner plates, with 20 to 30 inch leg spans. These mysterious spiders were reported as always being found near water sources, such as creeks or rivers, and they were extraordinarily tough. On several occasions, it was claimed that the startled men had opened fire on the massive spiders with their M16s, but that even when riddled with bullets, they'd still be moving around and scampering about. Of course, this is a totally unverified report, but it certainly makes one think about what sorts of unknown species could be wandering about out there in the jungle, already known to be inhabited by numerous deadly spiders and snakes. Fuck this story. All This has every... What does this story not have, Alyssa? Like, what are you going to tell me next? Is there also gold? Is there also gold in this story? There's monsters. There's spiders that are more big than my head. There's uh, people coming back from the dead that aren't ghosts. There's ghosts that are coming back from the dead. There's things that may or may not be dead. It's just wandering around, doing whatever it wants. You uh, Like, what, what else could there possibly be next? I... I'm on the edge of my seat. Speaking of snakes, adding to giant spiders are the equally creepy giant snakes. One photographer riding a helicopter in the Vietnam War claimed that they were flying over a patch of jungle when he noticed something unusual down below. At first, it seemed to be an extremely large, greenish, tube-like thing laying across a winding dirt road out in the middle of nowhere. The photographer then told the pilot to get lower so that he could get a good look at it to ascertain what it was. And that is when he could see that whatever it was was moving in an undulating fashion. They circled the strange creature for some time before it was reported that suddenly the thing rose up above the trees and they could see that it was in fact a gargantuan snake of some sort. The snake was said to have a large horse-like head with eyes three feet in diameter and it seemed to be coiling as if in preparation to actually strike out at the helicopter. The entire length of the gigantic serpent was estimated as being well over a hundred feet long. Apparently, the photographer took several pictures of this strange sight, though what became of them is unknown. The helicopter reportedly vacated the area for some time and then returned later to see if it was still there. At this time, the colossal snake was purportedly nowhere to be seen, having wandered back off into the impenetrable wilderness. Apparently, the photographer would later talk to natives of the area about his experience and learned that there were supposedly ancient snakes wandering the wilderness there, which were called bull eaters, after their ability to kill and swallow a full-grown cattle. I'm like, I want to cry right now because... The fat, like a bull is scary. <laughs> and then think about a snake is scary. And then you take a snake that could eat a bull. I don't know how to react to this, Alyssa. It's freaking me out. And then the indigenous population is like, yeah, we know. Other encounters with strange beasts clearly diverge off into the more bizarre territory, presenting creatures that seem to be more than just undiscovered species of some sort, but rather something more mysterious. One such account allegedly occurred on December 17, 1974, when a platoon of soldiers was out on a search-and-destroy mission along a river just north of the demilitarized zone in the early morning hours. 
The platoon had penetrated through a heavily wooded riverbank to reach a clearing, and it is then that they noticed that the area was strangely silent and devoid of the typical jungle sounds and its incessant drone of insects, animals, and birds. Sensing that this was bad news, a scout was sent ahead to see if enemies were in the vicinity, but nothing was found, not even any tracks. In the meantime, as the eerie, almost oppressive silence continued, some piles of what appeared to be dung from some large, unidentified animal were found scattered about the clearing, and as soldiers examined them, there was heard a crashing sound from the thick brush. The platoon allegedly looked up to see several large humanoid creatures come lumbering out of the trees and brush, which were unlike anything any of them had ever seen. The creatures were estimated as being eight feet in height, with a bright yellow coloration and three-fingered hands that ended in wicked-looking talons. The faces of these strange beasts were flat and sported large eyes, with only a couple of slits for a nose. These giant, yellow-skinned beings were reported as passing right by the platoons, seemingly not even paying any attention to them at all. But when the frightened soldiers began to get out of there, the loud sounds of crushing brush could be heard behind them, and they realized that whatever the creatures had been were following them. As the increasingly unsettled men picked up their pace and broke into a run, the crashing became more frantic and ominous, as if the giants were closing in for the kill. Several of the men reportedly fired their weapons at their pursuers to no apparent effect, with the creatures barely flinching even when hit with armor-piercing rounds. The men were now running as fast as they could towards their moored boat at the riverside, sporadically firing ineffectually behind them as the beasts closed in. They finally reached their boat and beat a hasty retreat, and as they left, they purportedly saw the haunting sight of dozens of the huge humanoids gathered on the shore watching them leave. What in the world did those men see? We may never know. An equally bizarre account was given by an anonymous U.S. Army corporal in the Vietnam War who claimed that he had a very strange encounter in 1970 in a region of South Vietnam about 30 miles from the demilitarized zone. According to the man, he had been second in command of a platoon of soldiers, and they had just set up an improvised military encampment in a heavily forested area marked with steep hills. After setting up camp that evening, the platoon engaged in a patrol of a small valley near the camp and detected movement ahead. Thinking it might be an enemy patrol, the soldiers hid and waited for around 15 minutes, during which time they continued to witness sporadic, furtive activity through the trees although visibility was poor and there was not enough light to make out what was causing it. The movement eventually ceased and the squad warily continued on their mission with only the light of the full moon to guide them. At some point, the platoon supposedly came across a wall of what appeared to be boulders that had been stacked one on top of another smack in the middle of a pass between two steep hills. On the side of this sheer wall was a dark opening that looked as if it could be the entrance of a cave, about five feet high and three feet wide and when the men drew closer, they could see that the surface of the opening was smooth, as if it had been carefully carved away by hand or bored by machinery of some sort. Although the Viet Cong enemy were well known to utilize tunnels and caves, none of the men had ever seen a cave opening quite like this. Things got stranger still when they drew nearer and detected a rancid stench coming from the murky blackness within, which was described as being so gut-wrenchingly putrid that some of the soldiers felt strongly sick to their stomachs and backed away in revulsion. Lights shone into the maw of the cave did very little to illuminate what lied within that dank place or what was producing the odiferous stench, and it was finally decided that they would fall back to around 150 feet away from the entrance and stake out the entrance for a time to see what would happen. As the platoon waited there observing the cave opening, it was noticed that the night was unusually quiet and eerily calm, with a noticeable absence of the usual jungle sounds that would have been all around them. The only thing they could hear was unidentified deep rumbling sounds that seemed to be coming from somewhere off in the distance, and the whole atmosphere was described as being quite unsettling indeed. They would wait there the entire night without incident, and as Donna 
approached at 0500 hours, and as the first light made a shy appearance, some movement was finally spied at the darkened cave entrance. The soldiers tensed up, and what at first was assumed to be a man emerged from the cave to crouch in the clearing in front of the cave's maw. However, it was soon noticed as it stood up that whoever it was was around seven feet in height and moved in a very odd manner. The platoon became firmly aware that the thing was not human, just as another came stalking out from the cave, and it was at this time that they were both claimed to start making hellish hissing sounds. As they watched on, it could be discerned that the creatures looked like bipedal humanoid lizards with scaly, shiny skin described as being so dark as to be practically obsidian black in color. The arm and legs were human-like, but scaly and tipped with claws. The faces had very large, forward-set eyes that were said to look snake-like. No tails were visible, and both of the beings were clearly wearing clothing of some sort in the form of dark green robes. What happened next was sudden and abrupt chaos that the witness described thusly. No one gave the order. It seemed like the entire squad opened fire at once. Every piece of vegetation between us and them was quickly sheared away. I yelled out a ceasefire order at the same time I was looking in the direction of the cave, and now there was nothing there. We immediately checked our flank in case these things circled around us, but there was nothing. As we approached the cave ready to resume action if needed, it became apparent that the beings had escaped, most likely back into the cave. It was soon decided to set charges and close the cave entrance. When we returned to camp, we all seemed to be in a daze. There was a little discussion of the incident, and we were never debriefed, so I know the sergeant never filed a report. Then again, if he did, it was kept quiet by the brass. Was this just a tall tale? Was it some sort of subterranean lost civilization? Was it aliens? Who knows? My jaw, like, you guys can't hear this or see this, but my jaw is open. My jaw is on the floor. I look like Patrick Starr in the meme where he's, like, sitting there and his jaw is on the floor. I, I, I just... You know, if I were to hear one of these things, it would have sent me just off the fucking edge. Like, I would just be like, but now that I've heard all of them from every single different directions, it's like if you get punched in the face from the front, like you fly backwards, you know? Now, imagine if you got punched in the face and then right when you got punched in the face, you also got punched in the back of the head. And then you also got punched in the side, in the side, and then someone kicked you in your genitals. So you're just like in a world of hurt. And I don't even know how to process everything that I'm hearing right now because First of all, I've heard of lizard people, but I don't know what the yellow scaly people are. Are there lizard people also? Are there yellow lizards? I feel like there's a bunch of different types of li- lizards. I don't know. Alyssa. <laughs> it's like, this is why I told you I had nightmares after researching this story because you really do feel like the second you like you think you've regained your balance from one story oh well here comes a lizard person like then you kind of regain your balance from that and then it's like oh here comes a giant sea serpent out of the water here comes a giant bull eater raising its head above the tree line looking at your helicopter like you're never safe one report that does seem to suggest aliens is another from 1967 On October 12th of that year, a six-man long-range recon patrol was operating in a heavy jungle near the North Vietnam border, and they set up camp, a night defense perimeter, that evening, with the men taking turns sleeping as the others maintained a lookout for the enemy. At around 1.45 a.m., the leader of the patrol was on watch and claims that he saw movement nearby. 
after which he woke the other men and they prepared their weapons for a potential firefight. As the patrol geared up and turned their eyes to the jungle, a very strange creature emerged from the murk. It was described as looking like a small gray humanoid with enormous black eyes, a long face, and slender arms, which gave off a faint glow that pushed back the clinging darkness around it. One of the men allegedly did not hesitate to fire at the creature, hitting it squarely in the head to send a brilliant blue syrupy fluid spattering the foliage. At that moment, three lights appeared in the sky to form a perfect triangle before darting off into the night. It would later become known that two other recon teams operating in the area had had similar strange encounters that evening, and the headquarters were claiming that it was hard to keep radio contact due to some sort of communication disturbances. Another sighting of aliens? No wonder everyone had PTSD from Vietnam. Like, that... there, it wasn't just about war. Like, there were very supernatural, unexplainable phenomenon that were happening to them, clearly. Then you mentioned earlier, Natalia, about how you're a big fan of cryptids. And I was. What is your favorite cryptid again? Do you want to re-say it for the audience? Um, Mr. Mothman. Okay, well, did you know that the female version of Mothman lives in Vietnam? I will fucking gut that bitch. She will never see the light of day again. She will see me standing over her with a knife that keeps the little Vietnamese ghost children away from me at night. Because let me tell you, that Mothman is mine, Miss Moth. Okay, let me tell you about her and then we'll see if you think that you can fight her, beat her in a fight. Some strange accounts from the war are a bit harder to classify, and one of these is certainly the case of what has come to be known as the Bird Woman of Da Nang, and was most famously recounted by John Keel in his Mothman Prophecies, in which he credits the source as being FSR Case Histories, number 10, June 1972. In the summer of 1969, a private first class of the Marine Corps by the name of Earl Morrison was sitting on top of a bunker near Da Nang with two others on guard duty when they claimed to have seen something unlike anything they had ever experienced before. At first, it started as a weird glow in the sky, the source indiscernible, but as it drew closer, they could make out that it was some sort of flying humanoid with bat-like wings. As it slowly moved closer, certain features could be ascertained. The creature seemed to be in the form of a naked woman with flowing long hair and totally black skin that cast an eerie greenish glow around it. The entity was described as being completely silent and as flying very low and purposefully. Morrison would say of the odd sight, quote, There was a glow on her and around her. Everything glowed, looked like she glowed and threw off a radiance. We saw her arms toward the wings and they looked like regular molded arms, each with a hand and fingers and everything, but they had skin from the wings going over them. And when she flapped her wings, there was no noise at first. It looked like her arms didn't have any bones in them because they were limber, just like a bat. The strange entity inexorably came closer as the shocked men looked on, unsure of what to do until it was hovering a mere six or seven feet above their heads, so close that she blotted out the moon. None of them knew what to do, and all they could do was stare with mouths agape, trying to make sense of what they were seeing. The entire time they could hear no sound from the creature, and it was not until she was continuing on her way that they could make out the faint sound of her wings flapping. The entire encounter was reported as lasting between three and four minutes. Interestingly, Vietnam folklore speaks of what are referred to as, quote, night flyers, which are winged humanoids usually described as being women and which are said to swoop down to attack the unwary. So, Natalia, what do you think of that? The bird woman of Da Nang. Okay, 
I just want to say I take back everything that I said before. I respect you. I respect your species. I understand. Um, I, I, you know, I feel like we just really understand each other. And I don't ever want to see you. You don't ever want to see me. We don't ever have to talk about this ever again. I'm just going to go ahead and retract every statement that I made before I heard the story of um, what Miss the female Mothman looks and sounds like and acts like. Uh, I'm really sorry. Um, I'm going to change my name now. This po- I'll never record this podcast again. Alyssa, we have to quit. That's scary. So, Natalia, out of all the stories I told you on this episode, which one has stuck with you the most, do you think? Definitely that grandpa that just came to life again. Like, I know that was like the least haunted of all of it, but it just really stuck with me because he had a like a steering. First of all, he's a grandpa, right? Like the odds are against him for surviving a car wreck. And then you add on to that that he had a steering wheel column go through his chest and was rejected by three separate parties of people for being so fucking dead looking. So I agree with you. That story then, is super But then the second haunted. one that sticks with me the most is it's a toss up between like the sphere alien thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that story could just be its own movie. Yeah, definitely. And the bull snake thing, because I really don't like the idea of a snake that like has three foot wide eyes, three foot wide eyes. That's six feet worth of ocular power there. (laughs) You're not wrong. That math is correct. That's horrible and terrifying i know i agree with you it's super scary i'm not a fan of snakes anyway so that was scary for me okay so natalia we're gonna switch gears a little bit and end on more of a somber note so obviously like i said this podcast does not take any position on the vietnam war at all we're just presenting um a little bit of yeah a little bit of background on it and then also talking about some the more paranormal side and some of the cultural and spiritual beliefs of the vietnamese and and you know, it's kind of a toss up. Like, did this stuff really happen? Or is this a combination of PTSD? And we know that soldiers used to use a lot of drugs in order to cope with the fact that they had to murder people. Um, And so, you know, it's sort of a toss up. Like, this is just like a really tragic episode all around. The Vietnam War is super controversial. We're not making light of it at all. We're just talking about, um, you know, stuff that makes it super haunted war like we said is already haunted by itself and then adding all of this stuff on top of it just makes it that much more haunted i mean i think this is very similar to the annalise episode that we did in the beginning where we were talking about how she was experiencing what she thought was demonic possession and other people around her were experiencing what they thought was demonic possession and it doesn't really matter whether or not she was just like had this rare form of epilepsy that was forcing her, you know, to knees to go backward and her to crawl on the ground and, you know, like eat bugs and, and act in like this very horrifying, unhuman way. She was still doing it. And so that's horrifying. And I think that whether or not there actually was like a group of aliens that came out and abducted these people the the thing is, the thing is is that this man he saw his friends all get up super uncharacteristically walk away from him and never return and he was so scared to the point that he shot himself in the leg like right 
like it doesn't really matter whether or not it was because of aliens. Well, Natalia, this was a very haunted ride. Thank you for joining me on this episode. I really appreciate it. Thank you to all the listeners for joining us. Normally, we do our BRB Gotta Go outro, but since this is more of a serious episode on the Vietnam War, I thought I would end with this clip instead. Thank you, Alyssa. That was um, very enlightening, and it was a very special episode to have back for our first one. Thank you guys for being patient with us while we tried so hard in so many different ways to get this out. Um, and thanks to all our donors who got this microphone. I mean, Alyssa literally thought she had Corona. So we were, we really went above and beyond. We love you. Yeah, we love you guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. The Vietnam War was certainly a time of great turmoil and horror for the people who served there. Here among all of the wartime experiences, there are truly represented the full range of the human emotional spectrum. Yet buried within tales of the death and scattered about the numerous accounts of fighting, heroism, and atrocity are some tales that seem to transcend the usual war stories to firmly entrench themselves into the realm of the truly bizarre. Besides the human monsters of war, there seem to be these cases which point to very literal monsters indeed. We know that armed conflict can be a turbulent time full of strangeness, but cases like these show that it can be even stranger than we may at first think, and that lodged within the history we know of are dark things that go bump in the night, and which defy explanation to remain conundrums upon the bloody landscape of war. And so, to what can we attribute all of these stories of ghosts, of aliens, of cryptids? Did these tales really happen? Or did the stresses of war cause soldiers' minds on both sides of the conflict to hallucinate? I'd like to leave you today with the most haunting words I came across during my research into the ghosts of the Vietnam War. In the documentary entitled First Kill, veteran Billy Heflin shares what it was like for him to be a tunnel rat in the Vietnam War. He concludes his interview with the following thought. I've often wondered if I'd go to hell. Friends have told me, no, you won't, because in the Bible it speaks of wars. What did they say about it? I'm not sure. But it's all right? In the times of war, you won't go to hell. But I, I think for some of the cruel things I've done, that I will. Sources for this week's episode come from the following articles, books, and web pages. The YouTube video titled Death Cards by channel Simple History, the YouTube video titled Reflections of a Vietnam War Tunnel Rat, uploaded by Western Wolf, which is an excerpt from the documentary First Kill. The full documentary can be watched on docsonline.tv with premium membership. The YouTube video titled Operation Wandering Soul, Ghost Tape Number 10, uploaded by Johnny Saiga. History.com's webpage on the Vietnam War, titled The Vietnam War. 
Ronald H. Spector's article titled Vietnam War, published on Britannica.com, FactsAndDetails.com's webpage titled Funerals and Ideas About Death in Vietnam, Hionic Kwan's article titled The Ghosts of the American War in Vietnam, published in the Asia-Pacific Journal, Hionic Kwan's article titled Vietnam's South Korean Ghosts, published on NewYorkTimes.com, Violet Coopersmith's article titled A Beginner's Guide to Vietnamese Ghosts, published on HuffPost.com, Military.com's article titled Four Creepy Ghost Stories from the Vietnam War by We Are the Mighty's Blake Stillwell, Wikipedia.org's page on Operation Wandering Soul, Wikipedia.org's page on The Country of Vietnam, Wikipedia.org's page on The Phoenix Program, Science.HowStuffWorks.com's article by Aaliyah Hoyt, titled Ghost Tape Number 10, The Haunted Mixtape of the Vietnam War, SciWarrior.com's article titled The Wandering Soul Tape of Vietnam by S.G.M. Herbert A. Friedman, MilitaryHistoryNow.com's article titled Operation Wandering Soul, Ghost Tape Number 10 and the Haunted Jungles of Vietnam, MysteriousUniverse.org's article titled The Ghosts of War, Operation Wandering Soul by Brent Swanser, MysteriousUniverse.org's article titled Bizarre Encounters with the Weird in the Vietnam War by Brent Swanser, YourGhostStories.com is where we got all of today's personal hauntings. Authors' names and titles of their posts are credited within the episode. Saigonier.com's article titled, Saigon Urban Legends, Haunted 727 Tran Hung Dao. CityPassGuide.com's article titled, Ghosts and Other Weird Tales from Vietnam, written by Sevaraj Pragasm. Insider.com's article titled, What It's Like to Explore the Secret Communist Tunnels, that were used in the Vietnam War and are now a major tourist destination, written by Monica Humphreys and Ben Nye. The book Very Crazy G.I. Strange But True Stories of the Vietnam War by Craig P. Jorgensen. Dailymail.co.uk's article titled Why the Big Paws? Paranormal Creature Hunters Claim to Have Found Vietnam's Bigfoot, written by Matt Blake. And the YouTube video titled Searching for Wild Man in Vietnam, Finding Bigfoot, uploaded by Animal Planet. The two songs we used for background music this episode are both composed by artist Miu, spelled M-Y-U-U. The names of those two tracks are Abyss and Danger. Thank you for listening. <laughs>